Then everybody, welcome back to the We the Patriots podcast. I'm your host Sal Asante, and with me today I have Herb K. Now we're going to get into, uh, I'm sure, quite a background, a long story that led us to what I ended up finding in Herb, which is the 1964 plan. Now, 1964 plan tries to take us back, especially for my generation, to a time that we don't even know existed. All right, so I'm going to be relying on UK, of course, to explain to us what we're missing out on especially as our generation and how we never never really saw the benefit of that generation how that faded so without any further ado her well first, the bit. first thing i would the first thing i would say is is that i don't want to you can't turn the clock back back a game that's already been played has already been played and the reason i chose the year in 1964 was that was the year the civil rights act passed and right. america was at the top of its game and now that discrimination at that time was made illegal, now there's obviously still going to be discrimination, but it's so much less today. I understand that there are people that think we live in a racist culture, but they just never lived during Jim Crow like I did. And I'm telling you, it is remarkably better, and not just in, in racial in race relations, but in you know, it's the acceptance of homosexuality. Now, I again, I don't want to go down the gender tube. That's not what I'm here to discuss, but. As far as, and by the way, I have a number of gay friends, and they never asked to be part of that club. You know, the LBGTQIA plus. You right. know, they're just gay. I, in fact, they kind of the, my gay friends like, and and my the lesbian who dog sits for me, uh, they don't want to be in that club. They don't like that whole gender thing. But I digress. Anyway, um, what where was I? Oh, so the Vietnam War. We had not gotten started in the Vietnam War. We pretty much been at war constantly since Vietnam, and really since World War II, with a short break between Korea and Vietnam. We were at the top of our game economically. We were still on a gold standard. There was still gold in Fort, well, there is gold in Fort Knox, but there was enough to cover the money. Inflation was non-existent. You could live in a nice house with two cars and your two kids, or three or four, and only the husband had to go to the office. I understand that there's this thought that there's a male patriarchy that is just there's so much missing from that discussion but anyway i'm not and, and i am not let me be very clear wanting to put women back in the kitchen technology has moved too far for that it, it you know there's the things that women used to have to do just aren't they don't have to do it there's just so many different ways to accomplish it so that's not what i'm trying to accomplish i'm trying to restore the time when the word school and shooting were not in the same sentence never no one ever heard of it. No one ever heard of a child snatching. When I was in 19, um, well, let's see, in 1968, which was the year of all the civil, the heaviest civil rights unrest, I lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Pittsburgh, it was and is a very diverse city. It's all kinds of different neighborhoods. And one of the things I've always loved about Pittsburgh, and I still love about Pittsburgh, is that it's still a big city with small neighborhoods. So you still you know, there's still an Italian neighborhood, a Jewish neighborhood, a black neighborhood, or this, or that. There's all these neighborhoods. And in those sure. days, um, there were obviously no internet, no cell phones. And my best friend, Jeff, who lived across the street from me, we lived in a suburb called Mount Lebanon, would ride the streetcar, which is light rail, um, 
downtown by ourselves. We would walk over a mile to the neighboring township called Dormont, because that's where the streetcar line ended. So we'd walk from our houses to Dormont alone. That was a couple of miles. We'd jump on the streetcar on a Saturday. And, you know, I had my paper route money. I, I, was, I delivered the Pittsburgh Press. Jeff delivered the Post-Gazette. We would go downtown and basically piss away our, post, our, our paper route money. And the only way we had to call home was a dime in a payphone. I know that's very quaint, but there was no, right. so in other words, there was no way to call for immediate help, except there were police out on the street walking the beat in those days. And everybody got along. And, you know, I was, I've always been a Pittsburgh Pirates baseball fan, even though they suck and uh, lately, but when I was a kid, they were great. And they had this, they had this hitter named Willie Stargell and he had this chicken place in the Hill district, which is the in those days, it was the Harlem of Pittsburgh. It, it, it was a poor okay. black neighborhood. I don't know what it is today, but then it was it was the poor black neighborhood. And we used to go up, like Jeff and I, you know, I mean, I'm as white as snow. I mean, I didn't have white hair in those days, but we would go up there. And the whole thing was whenever Willie would hit a home run, they'd give away free fried chicken. So all the kids would go okay. up and they had televisions in the windows and we would wait to see if Willie would hit a home run. And if he hit a home run, we'd all get free fried chicken. It was really good fried chicken. And I, I mean, it never occurred. I was surrounded by black people, but it just never occurred to us that there was going to be a racial issue. Do you know what I mean? It, it was just right. a different time and a different place. And, and we kind of thrown out the baby with the backwater. And that's why the 1964 plan, because I want to restore things to where they were culturally in 1964, but keep all the good parts, keep all sure. the all, all, all the social progress, you know, keep people. If you want to have a career, by all means, have a career of your woman. God knows you should make the same thing. And that's that's not what I'm not trying to turn the clock back just to the way we face the future in the past. We used to be unbridledly optimistic and now not so much. So before we dive a little bit deeper into the plan, I want to I want to dive into maybe a little bit about how you arose to the plan. Um, first of all, quick question: Were you the one who wrote the white papers, or was that something that you had a, a group writing? Like, how did that come about? Well, I was in prison, to be perfectly honest. So you know how right. I gained my unique perspective was I've been at the very top and the very bottom. Now I'm not good. I'll make a long story short, just for the record. In 2008, when the real estate market collapsed, I was developing real estate in Mexico. My company was collapsed with everything else in real estate. I tried to save it. I crossed the line in trying to raise money to save it. I broke the law. There's no doubt about it. I got exactly what I deserved. So that is how I ended up in prison. I'm not going to get into anything else because the minute I start mitigating or explaining the context or what was going through my mind, that destroys redemption in my mind. That that comes off as weaseling. Plus, if one of the people who I harmed, who, whose money I lost, were to watch this podcast, I don't want to insult them. I, I pay restitution to them, by the way, and I will probably for the rest of my life, which I do gladly. But I'm not going to try to explain the context. I did it. I went there. And if you choose to judge me by the absolute worst thing I've ever done in my life, there's nothing I can do about that. And it, that's why, you know, I'm not a politician. Either you, you can love me, you can hate me. But while I was in prison, I got a very unique perspective that people in my position generally don't get. And I wasn't in a federal prison. I was in a state prison, which was much tougher than a federal prison. This was not club fed. And so I was exposed to the, 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 the racial issues, the gang issues, the drug issues. And I got it. 
And when you're going to, when you spend, I spent a little over four years in prison, you have a lot of time on your hands. And one of the things I did is I wrote, like, for example, I wrote 12 novels, um, full-length novels, just longhand. In fact, I, ha I haven't published them, although one of them is ready to go. It's called The Grand, well, you can't really see it because I have the virtual background. It's called The Grand Master. It's, a, it's just a novel. I, and I wrote a whole bunch of them longhand while I was in prison. And I also wrote the white papers as part of a, I called it the radical reset. And part of part of that I left out because it's so radical that it it's just not the time or place for it. I I have never been one to be to be stuck in the box, if you know what I mean. And so what I did was is I took the relevant chapters out of and it just came to me as I walked around the track and I observed the environment I was in and the kind of people I was with. And it, give, it gave me a very, very, very unique perspective on crime in particular and homelessness because the state uses the prison as a homeless shelter to, to a large extent. Um, and the drug war and the breakdown of the nuclear family, it's all there, right there in prison to see. And because of my age, I became a yard daddy. So a lot of these, yard dad is just a colloquial term for an older guy that all the young guys look up to. And in my case, all the races, and I speak Spanish as well. So both the Paisas, which are the foreign nationals, they break down in prison by by choice. It's not done by the prison system. There's there's the woods, which are the white guys. There's the kinfolk, which are the black guys. There's the Chicanos, which are just what you think they are. There are the Paisas, which are the, the Latinos who are not American citizens and mostly okay. only speak Spanish. And those are the cartel guys, 99 times out of 100. And then, in fact, I never met the exception. And then um, the, the, the chiefs are the Native Americans, and then there's a smattering of the others. And so I got to know all of these these gangs and these groups in a very intimate way, and it gave me a very, a very, very unique perspective. And that's where all of this came from. Long answer to a short question. Well, not really, because you covered, uh, covered a couple questions that I would have asked following up. So now, while you're developing this and you're seeing this around, I'm curious, uh, someone's initial gut reaction would, would more than likely be, why should I trust someone who is a felon to reform prison? Um, well, now it takes a criminal to, me, to understand criminals, to be honest. I mean, to me, I want that. Yeah, to me, I want that background knowledge. But if you're talking about reforming prison, so what would be your most targeted uh, offense? And it sounds like it would be it would be some something in relation to the drug, the drug. First of all, I, you know, as you know, in the white papers, I propose a number of active solutions as well as passive Absolutely. solutions. So some things I want to wind down, some things I want to ramp up, and all of that costs money. And it all rests on one foundation, which is we end the idiotic drug war, where we're spending trillions to absolutely no effect. Okay, so if you look at, for example, just, and when I say no effect, no effects, I was in two different prison yards when I was in prison for long term. I was in other places for short when I was being processed and things like that. But I was in two permanent prison yards during the time, well, three. But anyway, the first one was Yuma, and the second one was Kingman. Now, in Kingman, I got very friendly with the cartel guys. And the reason I got friendly with them was, A, I'm fluent in Spanish, so I had a very easy time with them. And second, they were the smartest guys in prison, and they were interesting to talk to. And third, it was fascinating to learn how the drug business worked, to be perfectly honest. And they kept offering me a job. They wanted me to launder money for them, which I would never do. But I got to know them very intimately. And they're not this isn't the movie characters from the cartels. This is like the real guys. And so they're 
they're not two-dimensional they're, they're three-dimensional and they're complicated and they and i began oops i began to understand the business model that they run from and because of that i gained a very unique perspective and the drug war in kingman prison they were doing three and a half million dollars a year in, in drug trafficking in prison three and a half million dollars a year and how and how the uh, drugs were coming in was by drone over the fence and then a corrupt corrections officer picked it up and most of the corrections officers certainly the senior corrections officers were being paid off by the cartel and they would bring the, the drugs into the prison they would give it to the paisas who were the cartel guys they would distribute among the other gangs unbelievable and it it's first-hand experience i never saw heroin in my life till i was in prison i never saw crack in my life till i was in prison i never saw meth i'd heard of all these things but i i saw them all and i saw them used in prison what i saw in my lifetime was like cocaine that's what high class now i mean i tell you if i did cocaine i never did it i i i used to smoke a lot of weed i still smoke weed occasionally i'll tell you that right now i live in a legal state i enjoy it um i don't drink because I? I can't stand the taste of, uh, I, yeah i don't i can't stand the taste of alcohol i i, I had a gift from really? god i i've never yeah i'm not on the wagon i was never off it because i just can't stand the taste of, i just can't stand it i don't like the, it. the thing that i can't stand with alcohol is the fact that if you if you're gonna have some some marijuana and you can smoke it and wake up the next day and feel completely like yourself whereas if you have one drink too many or sometimes even just that one drink and it's the wrong drink and you wake up and you don't feel right. I've never had that with with marijuana. No, it's exactly I, I the same thing with information. I find it incredibly pleasant. Plus, when I write, right. I like to be slightly high. It opens me up creatively. At least I think so. Right. My son. Well, they say so does alcohol, son. but if you don't react well to it, then so. My my youngest son is a is a professional artist. He's an animator in Los Angeles. That's what he does, and he's a successful animator. You've probably seen a lot of his stuff, but you. you you wouldn't realize it. But anyway, so but he's, in other words, he's creative and he and he works in a creative space all the time. And I'll tell you uh, what he does is microdose um, psychedelics, you know, but but in microdose, which and I, I, yeah, I've heard I tried that. it. Well, it's legal here still. I tried it. Um, it didn't do a thing for me. I don't get it. Really? Um, I, yeah, I, I probably mean, would I'm never push myself to that. So, yeah, I've tripped acid. I have to tell you, it's very enjoyable. I won't lie. That one I, I haven't never. done it. I I haven't done it in many many years. But I can never. It it depends what your demons are, man. Like sure. you know, I know this sounds strange strange for a guy that went to prison, but I really don't have demons. And because I don't have demons, I always have a very pleasant experience with them. Do you know what right. I mean? But then on the other hand, I I'm a veteran. I go to the VA for my health care, and I know a lot of. Uh, PTSD veterans who are getting amazing results um, with the microdosing. I heard there was a lot of that. Yeah. Well, actually, they're they're, they're taking them all the way and they they trip. But oh, really? They do it in a very, very controlled environment with a professional with them who guides them through the through the experience, and they're getting gotcha. remarkable improvement in PTSD. But folks, my brother veterans who obviously I feel for. I'm a Vietnam era veteran, but I never went to Vietnam. I was a Russian linguist and wrote submarines, so I was nowhere near Vietnam, but I'm of that era, so I know a lot of those guys. Gotcha. So now you're starting to write in this plan. Was it complete by the time that you left prison, or were you refining it and trying to make action on it afterward? Well, I've refined it a couple of times afterward. I mean, I wrote the whole thing in a book called A Radical Reset, and I actually have 
Okay. Uh, copies of it. And when I say I, I, I have copies of it, I've set it up on Amazon, but I've taken it all down until okay. the nonprofit gets going. But the Radical Reset was was the book that held all the white papers in it. These are basically chapters out of the book. And the a Radical Reset is a is a, a, a whole concept of what what comes next, because I believe fundamentally that we're on the brink of collapse. And another part of my background is financial. In fact, I have a long financial background. And I did it for many, many decades really well, you know, before I turned into a crook. And thanks for being so self-reflective, by the way. <laughs> at least at least you can laugh about know, it and be be cordial. There isn't a, there isn't an hour of a day that goes by where I don't shudder <laughs> as I remember something that I've done. I mean, I physically shudder. But I can't play that game. I well, that that only you can't tells go back. me you that can I'm only not... move onward. You can only move onward, and you can only do the best that you can from that from that day forward. I, I could wallow in agony, but that's not going to get the, the victims of my crimes repaid. And especially now that you're out of prison, no, anyone... absolutely not. No, and I mean, it's not going to make life any better for anybody else. And Correct. all I'm going to do is make every. And I, I mean. Not to brag, but I was a great father, not just a good one. So I have a very close relationship with all four of my children. I just I just have a new granddaughter who was born in, in August. Congratulations. Just, uh, thank you. I'm blessed. You know, I in prison, I used to get asked all the time. I always when I walk around, I generally have a small smile on my face, like, you know. I don't even hear, feel myself doing it. But in prison, I used to get asked all the time, what are you smiling about, OG? OG, I thought, by the way, meant old guy for about six months until I realized it was original gangster. But anyway, the I don't know what the hell. I thought they were calling me old guy. I had no idea. And then one day I heard, I forget how I realized that I was wrong, but it was it looked like, oh, is that what it means? So That's awesome. I kind of liked being an OG. Yeah, it was fun. Now, and, and, and when I say fun, I mean, I've been strip searched more times than I want to talk about. And it was, I, I, I'm sure. I compared it to a monastic experience. I, I treated the entire experience as a monastery. I, I, and I was, it was conscious. I thought about it from the very beginning because I was in an environment where I was going to wear the same plain outfit every single day. I was going to sleep on a very hard cot for the next for four years. I was going to have to follow rules I had nothing to do with. I was going to be routinely subjected to things that I would normally never do. Um, and I was going to have a lot of time for self-reflection. And what else is a monastery? So I treated it that way. And so, and I knew I had two choices. I, I mean, I could die or I could move on. Now, Again, this is not to make an excuse for what I've done, because what I'm about to say, millions of people have gone through the same thing and not done what I did. So this is not an excuse. But I had an extremely abusive childhood. And my stepfather was a monster. And those scars stuck with me and, and warped me in a way that went away in prison. Prison was, in a, in a strange way, psychologically, the best thing that ever happened wow. to me. That... that it, the, I used to carry a lot of hatred and things. It just went away. I don't. I can't really explain why. It just. I let it go, and it's been life changing. But anyway, that's too much about me. Let's talk about the plan. I, I, I think but, let's. But, uh, but, so let's. Uh, plan though. It's it's important though because it's. Um, I think it shows. It gives the viewer at least a perspective as to see how how you're changing, where you could have changed, and not just see that. Um, you know. 
the label that could get put on you that is just felon has a plan you know because that's not what it is all felonies all felonies are life sentences that's number one one part of my reform is imagine that you're not me okay you're not an educated autodidact who reads everything in sight with a high iq let's just imagine that most of the kids in prison aren't me and that's kind of you know and i don't mean this to be arrogant and plus I played the game correctly for decades, so I knew exactly what to do when I got out. I wasn't just going to sit around. And But most of these guys don't have these abilities. We're all equal in the eyes of God, but we're not all equal in ability. And anyone who thinks that we're ever going to be is living in la-la land. So, so these, most of these young men that I was around were just average intelligent, not stupid, not brilliant, just solid intelligence, but had been raised on the street in in literal terms there was virtually never a father involved in their lives they themselves had started procreating at about the age of 13 typically they bragged wow. about how many baby mamas they had knocked up and taken absolutely no responsibility for and couldn't understand why because their fathers never took it for them they they didn't see it as a breakdown of morality they they it just didn't occur to them it just wasn't the environment that they, they grew up in and this was universal across all the races this was the universal unifying thing among all of the criminal class was that overwhelmingly they came from single parent families and then their mothers who also grew up in single parent families because this all started back in the mid-1960s, another reason we, we started in 1964, the, the Great Society kicked off most of what the destructions come off since, which is a good example, just slightly digressing, of why the road to hell is paved with good intentions, because I'm, I'm sure. an admirer of LBJ. I know that he set out to do the right thing. It just didn't work out that way. So these girls grew up without fathers, too. But see, as father of two daughters, I can tell you my role as a father of two daughters is was to reinforce in them, and I'll do this with my granddaughter, how important they are in the world and where they stand. You know, Absolutely. and 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 a good father does that. You know, he goes, for example, I, I always tell I told um my son who just had the new baby, I said, just remember what I always told you. There's no such thing as quality time. There's only quantity. You have to show up. Showing up is 99% of parenting. Just just showing up, not not being too busy, not getting too wrapped up in your work. Not you have to have a priority about that if you really want to have a really good relationship with your kids when they're adults. Because your children, and I know I'm slightly digressing, but children are the receptacles of all of their parents' unresolved issues. Anything that you don't resolve in your lifetime, you will dump into your children. You'll do it absolutely without even thinking you're doing. So I think it's important these, because I think you were. You were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were divorced from your first wife. Um, Both wives. I'm a hypocrite. I'm against divorce and I'm divorced twice. The second time, the first time she was an addict who ran away with another man. And and there's nothing I can do about that. But look at this. But I, I chose her. And that just shows you how right. whacked out my thought process was at the time. And then, sure. God rest her soul, she died of an overdose. God rest her soul later. And I and I I hold no animosity towards her. She's the mother of my two oldest children. But my second wife, I got it right. And I I managed to completely screw that up. And you know, good decisions come from experience, but experience can only come from bad decisions. That it, it's the only way that any of us, none of us learn anything from success. That's why, you know, as an entrepreneur, it never bothered me if I did something and failed typically until I didn't. <laughs> Which 
because it, it just was part of the game. You know, sure. don't don't play the game if you can't take the take the punches. I know that's a mixed right. metaphor. That's a friend. But anyway, so these kids in prison never had a chance and they were raised. That, so the girls always oh, get to with the girls that they seek male approval constantly. And they and that that reflects through sex because that's what their mothers did. And so they basically will sleep with anybody. And having babies, they expect to have babies. They don't use birth control at all. And and even though it's free, you can walk down to Planned Parenthood anywhere and get it. They it wouldn't occur to them. And they have the babies, which then starts their welfare payments. And the more babies they have, the more they get. And it, it's a cycle. And then once you get trapped in that cycle, you lose all hope. And then if you get a criminal record on top of that, male or female, it's a life sentence because now you will never be anything more than a shit shoveler for the rest of your life, at most. Right. So, given that choice, they're going to choose the life they've come from 999 times out of a thousand. That's why the recidivism rate is so high in prison. And we do it so badly. And both sides of the political spectrum are so wrong that that's why I, I wrote the 1964 plan, because it's getting to the point where yeah. you, you're not safe. And well, it's not, not safe, a left or right issue. It's not a left or right no, issue. It's, not. Uh, it's really not. Your home, wherever your home is, then the government's real only purpose, real purpose, if you look at it, throughout history is to do one thing, protect its population. Period. End right. of story. Everything else is a side side note. Well, our government, in all of its forms, is not protecting the population. And even though you can figures lie and liars figure, you can play with statistics and say that overall crime is you know is just slightly gone up over the last few years. It's the nature of the crimes. It, they've gotten wildly more violent, and it's just going to get worse. And now the crime rate has started zooming again, and that will never stop because that's the one part of the population that has a lot of babies. So where people like you and I, and you're young in your life, will probably maybe have two kids, but probably like, you know, on the average, the average family has 1.4 now, you know, if you average it all. Yeah, we're below so we're replacement. Yeah. Right. We're, we're, we're below replacement of the decent people in the population. But the other part. Yeah, anybody that doesn't know replacement, you actually need to be at 2.1. reason you need to be at 2.1 is because you're always expecting at least some percentage of women that can't have babies. Right. So well, you need yeah, every yeah, woman. Infant mortality or whatever it might be. God Absolutely. Forbid. You but need to have 2.1. We're nearing. We're nowhere getting near. to half. We're getting to half almost. That is. Yeah. That's yeah, a scary not... statistic. Well, we're, I mean, getting away from crime just for a minute, we're also in an incredibly lucky country because we live next door to the net, to a country with the healthiest demographics in the world, and that's Mexico. They also have an incredibly healthy, um, incredibly good workforce. Um, many, many global corporations are relocating to Mexico, and the reason right. they're locating to Mexico is Mexican labor is twice as productive and half as expensive as Chinese labor. Plus, oh my goodness. it has... Well, then someone's getting taken advantage there, huh? No, see, that's contextual. That. Like, no, no, and and people, the problem with Americans, the right term is to make fun of, who don't understand foreign foreign culture and foreign governments at all, is that we don't understand the context of it. So, for example, um, all of these EVs require an awful lot of cobalt. 
And most of the cobalt in the world comes from the Congo. Right. And, the, and in the Congo, there are children out there mining it by hands. They're, liter they're literally right. in these muddy cobalt open pit mines, yep. searching. I mean, you can go on YouTube. It's, there's plenty of videos of this pulling out cobalt. And there's a, and there are a lot of people who, you know, oh, my God, child labor. But what you don't understand is that's all there is. The alternative is not to go back to school and, you know, learn and then graduate from high school and then go to university. This is not an option in the Congo. Their choice is work or starve. And the whole family stays together. The nuclear family in a poor country is always intact because that's the only social safety net that there is that's remotely reliable. And so the whole family pulls, if the kids weren't working, the family would starve. So I'm not saying child labor is a good thing, but I'm saying that over time, wages rise. When my family first came to Arizona, which was in 1970, let's say 72, might've been 73. Um, my family's business was importing produce out of Mexico. Nogales, Arizona is the largest crossing point in the world of fresh produce between two countries. And with the MCA, the USMCA, with Canada, which is NAFTA redone and in a better form, it, enormous amounts of produce flow across that border every day, year round. 20, because while the San Joaquin Valley in California is the largest growing area, the most productive growing area in the world, the second most productive is in Sinaloa and Culiacan to the south and there are enormous uh you know operations down there but back in the day when the peso was toilet paper and their their country was in a single party system and the free press didn't exist and it was crony capitalism the people there was no middle class but that's all changed it's beginning in 1994 when uh who was the, uh, Car carlos their first decent president carlos Oh my God, I can remember his first name. I'm having a senior moment. I know it as well as my own. But anyway, they finally got a decent president. He called in all the old Carlos Salinas. There you go. Um, when Carlos, Carlos Salinas became president, he was uh, from that single party, but he had a whole new game in mind. And what he, and he he's he's the Abraham Lincoln of Mexico. Am I boring you with this? That, that I went off no, into this tangent? I'm, no, I'm 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 curious. I, I, I really want to know because okay, yeah, so, I mean, in so, a way. You're talking about very cheap labor. Yeah. Okay. So Salinas went to Harvard and yeah. he understood free market economics. And so when he took office, the very the peso in those days was 800 to the dollar. It, they had an incredible inflation problem. And so all the wealthy Mexicans were expatriating their money. So if you went to Nogales, for example, all the, there were big, beautiful banks in this little shitty town on the border because all the wealthy Mexicans would take their money over the line. It was all in Arizona. But a country can't grow unless its own people are investing in it. And Salinas right. understood that. So he called in the old peso and he issued nuevo pesos. They were NPs at first. Now they're just pesos again. But he and he pegged it to the dollar. That's since been moved a little bit, but not so much. So the peso is still roughly when he did it, it was 10 to one. Now it's like 20 to one. But as Latin America goes, that's as stable as a currency could ever be. That's really remarkably yeah. stable by latin american standards knowing my knowledge and, of uh, brazil's yeah yeah argentina and i mean i could go down the list so okay, we'll talk about venezuela. venezuela you know they hyperinflate <laughs> that's what they do so and we're going to have a problem with this this is where our problem is going to come from this but is where we're headed yeah explain well 
I'll get there in a minute. So I'm getting into finance, which has nothing to do with. I hope we have enough time to get to the plan. But I'm. But here we go. So I'm just no, absolutely. I, call, I think he called. I think we're headed on a good track. Okay. He issued the new pesos. The new pesos held value that gave people confidence again. He began denationalizing industries. And most importantly, he did away with the didazo. Now, the didazo is, is the point in Spanish. And it used to be that the, the president served six years in Mexico, one term. They used to steal. They still do. They steal as much as they possibly can. And then they, in those days, the PRI, the PRI, the, the, revolution, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, but it's pre-Spanish letters, um, Partido Revolucionario Institucional. Anyway, um, he, he would point and pick a successor. Well, Salinas didn't do that. And he didn't rig the election. Now, his successor was a man named Luis Donaldo Colosio, who was assassinated. And was and then a uh, during the campaign, which never happens in Mexico, it's just so rare that that happens. But he was he was there's still he's the Kennedy of Mexico. They're still talking about who assassinated Colosio down south. But um, then came in the president's name started with a Z. He was a decent president too. But anyway, they've had a succession, and and then uh, Vicente Fox from the, from PAN, which is the Mexican equivalent of the Republican Party, and, and they've even denationalized to a large extent the oil company. Although the current president is a leftist and trying to renationalize it, but it's not a dictatorship anymore, and he can't just do what he wants to do. And he tried to pass a constitutional amendment the other day to give him more power, and the voters voted sure. it down. So. How's that, actually, so how is that related to the lower labor in, in Mexico itself well, then? They have a middle class now because because okay. they have people got it, got uh, faith in institutions, they have a middle class. And then American employers, NAFTA was the greatest gift in the world to, to everybody because it opened Mexico up to American technology and know-how. And it opened us up to a, a huge market that we needed. Plus with our de decaying demographics, if we don't, um, import labor from Mexico into the United States, we're screwed. I mean, I hate to say this, but we've got the border issue completely backwards. What we need to do is control the border, not close it. You're not going to close a 3,000 mile border. You could control. And frankly, we had it controlled under Reagan. We had we had a good, um, uh, what, they, what kind of workers used to call them? Um, guest worker program. We had a really good guest worker program. It worked great. And for some reason, we stopped doing it. Why? Yeah, I, I think we, no need, we need to get back to it, and we need to decentivize definitely the coyote lifestyle. Like I can't imagine how much they're well, they're pro uh, profiting. The coyotes are taking point. advantage, of and I'm telling you right now, you can build a wall along the whole border. That's not the way most of the people come in. They're mostly coming in through tunnels. Most of the drugs and most of the people crossing into the border are coming in through tunnels that are dug by the cartels. So the cartels have families of tunnelers that live on the other side of the border. And they're like West Virginia coal miners. These are generations of family that grow up to do one thing and one thing only, which is build tunnels under the border. Now, these tunnels, there are thousands of them, are located within cities because it's much easier to hide a tree in the forest than out in the middle of the desert. So, you know, there are movies where the, where the tunnel entrance is in the middle of the desert, but that's not the way it really is. They really go in the basement of a house on the Mexican side and come out in the basement of a house on the American side. And they use the tunnel twice. And then they abandon the tunnel for months, for even years, because they assume that the people that went through the tunnel, at least one of them is gonna rat it out. So they only use it twice. Then they abandon it and they build others. And they have an inventory of tunnels and a rotation of tunnels. Okay. And 
you could build that wall to be 3,000 feet high. You're not going to stop it. It just, in fact, I can tell you for a fact firsthand, the cartel guys laugh about it. They think the tunnels, the, the wall's a great idea because it distracts so much um, from from man, uh, manpower and resources that isn't that aren't chasing them. Right. Right. So you know, it's just it's anyway. I could go on and on. Where were we? Where Where do you want to go now? No, that's where, that's where it thing. comes into the plan. So how do we de how do we decentivize that? And I think really the solution has to be how do we get on a plan to get our families back together, have them having more kids. And why would you want to even have kids when the world is heading in the direction that it is? I hope that your plan well, starts they, turning that around. Well, that you even feel that way and that your generation feels that way and you're the generation. What are you like? 30 something, 30 ish. I wish I'm about 20. I'm going to turn 24 soon. No, you're, you're, but I was trying to give you, you know, the benefit of being Okay, so you're you're younger than my youngest daughter. My youngest daughter's 29. Okay, and she's getting married in March. But you're of that generation. You're a, you're a Gen Z, and Gen Z is very is the unhappiest generation ever. And there's there are lots of studies that confirm this. Yale University that women especially are incredibly unhappy, and so basically all of this um, rearranging of society that we've done has accomplished nothing but to make everybody miserable, right? I mean, that's really what it's done. And that's why you even asked that sure. question. When, when I was a kid, and I hate to sound like an old boomer, because I blame our generation for, the, for what's going on with you. It, it was my generation that let it get away from us, frankly, because we didn't raise our kids by and large the way we were raised. And right. there was a reason for the structures in, in a society. It's as if we were walking across a field and every time we came to a fence, we would kick it over. But we would never ask the three questions that have to be asked before you kick over any fence, which is who put it up? Why did they put it up? And is it to protect us or keep out the bad things? And we never even asked those questions. So as we kick down one barrier after another to decency and we slid into decadence, which is where we're going, right. okay, we're there, okay? things what a surprise it's spiraling out of control what a surprise we're tribalizing well we've destroyed everything so let's start with the nuclear family and and so in the beginning i'm just gonna leave it at this the dr drugs need to be legalized i just want to leave the drug to say one more thing and when i say legalized i mean legalized not decriminalized which is replacing one useless bureaucracy with another just get it through your head okay in the real world that first of all, most people can use any drug safely. I know that no one ever talks about that but without getting addicted. Only about 10% of people are alcoholics of the drink. Only about 10% of people that use any drug get, get wrapped up in it. Because I've never tried heroin, but if, if opium were legal, I'd try it once just to see what the big thing, I wouldn't inject it, I'd smoke it, you know, cause I'm, I have a yeah. thing about needles, but I would try it because I'm not addictive. I have no addictions. I, I'm not addicted to anything. I never have been. I, when I was in the Navy, I smoked because everyone else was, and I got out and I stopped smoking. I, I it just, and how did I stop? I just stopped. It, yeah. it was, it, most people are not addictive. I mean, we have to grow up, stop infantilizing the population. Okay. That's sure. number one. Number two, the people that are the hard, there are a lot of functional addicts. Okay. And when I say functional addicts, we all know functional alcoholics. We all know functional. And probably a lot of the people watching this podcast are functional alcoholics, whether they admit it to <laughs> them or not. But that's okay. It's possible. I'm not, I'm not judging. I grew up in an Irish Catholic neighborhood most of the time. And basically every set of parents were functional alcoholics. The drinking started early. 
you know, and it, yeah. we would leave in our neighborhood, you left your back door unlocked and open so neighbors could walk in and they go into your refrigerator and get it, it was much different in those days. There was much more neighborhood feeling. Right. But they now, were all alcoholics. But, but, so the but only they, worry they, for they me went is... to work and they raised their kids and they and they were good people. They just drank a lot. So the only thing that worries me is, do you have a limit? Because, uh, of course, like legalization of of opiates to a degree, like are you saying legalized fentanyl? To are yeah. you also saying legalized like something like PCP? Because that would be a good example yeah. of something where, uh, you know, you're going to have to don't heavily. Believe don't believe right? the propaganda. First of all, no one's doing PCP anymore. That it, it doesn't. Oh, work. oh I, I totally PC agree. But I'm saying drugs of drugs of that nature, stuff that can make someone, you know. Stop. This is how don't live other people's lives. The point I was about to make is really simple. For that part of the population that becomes a wrecked addict, no matter what the drug is, their well, to, goal is to not be fair. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let you know this. To be fair, my I have a family member who overdosed and passed away from heroin, and obviously dealing with dealing Me with um, her, the repercussions of her family and the fallout, and it's um, would did did making heroin so. illegal. Would it would it have solved that? Would it have no. solved that? I don't I don't agree at all. What solves her problem? I'm not sure anything solves her problem. That's why I hope that your plan. Um, well, that's well, that's what I'm saying. I'm what, what I'm saying. Kind of opens that up. We're treating a health problem as a criminal problem. So I've got, we, I've had firsthand experience with addiction in my family as well. I'm, and I'm not going right. to say who it was or anything else. And like I said, my first wife died of an overdose. And while we weren't married, I didn't hate her. She was the mother of my children. And the fact that she cheated on me, I I forgave that, okay? Because for the children's sake, we had, a, we had a decent relationship. So I understand what it looks like. It was horrible when she overdosed. It, it put scars on my children's backs that didn't have to be there. But making it legal would legal illegal makes no difference it just makes the drug expensive so 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 right Her, let's use heroin and fentanyl which are the first two you brought up as an example i think those are i think those are good examples because it's currently what happened and kind of the transfer as i talked to an addict previously on the show the transfer of heroin to more fentanyl on the street was cost reasons which would make sense an addict would want. well it's actually inter it's not a, not cost so much as interdiction so First of all, the, the drug war shuts all competition out of the drug business. Only the cartels can afford to import drugs because of the interdiction costs involved. So a small producer who could produce heroin is, and I'm going to use that as the base example because that's that's where we're going with heroin in the opium yeah. yep. business. That's, okay, that would heroin, be our best example, I think. To produce heroin and make 100% profit, in other words, Recover all of your costs, all your promotional costs, your production costs, your material costs, recover all of that, and to make 100% profit, which is a terrific profit margin, much higher than right. Pfizer makes on a typical drug, what, after it's out of patent, because remember, pet, heroin is not patented. You know, you, you could make it as cheaply as aspirin. It, it's been around too long to be for the formulation to be patented. So you could sell it for 5% of its cost. So number one, instead of it costing more money than the addict can earn, thereby pushing the addict into illegal operations. So in other words, if you say how many people are in prison to a drug police person, how many people in prison are there for drug-related crimes? They'll say about 35, 36%. But that's a case of figures lie and liars figure. 
because all those other guys that are in there for violent defenses and robberies and thieves, they're all drug addicts too. And they were, I was, was going to say the crime. intermingling there, the intermingling is very almost a hundred percent drug related crimes, especially really? in state prisons. Yeah. In federal prisons, they get the congressmen and the white collar guys mostly, but in state prison, it's mostly the violent guys, the thieves the, and the drug addicts and that kind of thing. I knew a lot of murderers, but I knew them on their way out. Guys that had, anyway, neither here nor there. I didn't know any serial killers. Don't even ask me those. I don't know. I, I, I was nowhere near that death worked. row, thank God. Yeah, yeah. That I don't worked. know any. I have no story about death row guys. But happily, they segregate those guys. So, because they have nothing to lose. You don't want to be around a guy with a life sentence with no possibility of parole or a death sentence because he'll kill you as soon as look at yeah, you. Yeah, what if he's your roomie? Yeah. And you say the wrong uh, yeah. thing tomorrow night? Yeah. He'll kill, he'll kill you as soon as look at you. Yeah. And, there's so let's go to the violence. In an illegal, I actually I have one question before uh, before we moved off that because I I had just one really specific question was um in in your prison was there any um child molesters or rapists and were they looked at differently no. and kept no. separately at all? No. Uh, well, they're segregated into their own prison, and the reason for that is is that among the normal prison the normal prison population the general prison population there is a startling amount of child abuse survivors incest in, in oh, okay. particular okay it's it's startling how, how much makes, of it there is that makes a lot of sense these men are very angry about it and they carry that like a burning pool of molten I'm sure water. like once they find out they must they must be livid the first thing they do, you, the first thing that happens when you're a brand new inmate coming into a prison is whoever the boss is for your race is going to check your paperwork. So you carry with you your file, your 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 court papers, and all the plea doc. You have it with you because that proves you're not a, you're not a snitch, right? It also proves that you're not a, in for a sex crime because if you were in for a sex crime, including rape, child molestation, anything like that, they'll kill you. You wouldn't last on the now. I right, that's that's hand, what I was asking. I mean, I personally think it would be a public service. But having said that, they do segregate them. So I never met. I, now, interestingly, just as a side note, you know that thing about rape in prison—that's that's movie stuff. That doesn't really happen. I, I'm sure consensual. Let Let me just say, there's no. If you want to have homosexual sex in prison, it is not a big trick to have. And no one has to force anybody to do it. There are plenty of gay guys. And they're, and they're, what's really interesting is how tolerated it is among the general population. No one cares. Uh, and okay. that is, they really don't care. Not at all. I'll tell you a quick kind of amusing story. But when I was in, in Kingman, the prettiest girl in prison was a guy, was this um, this uh, Paisa guy. That he, he was from El Salvador. And, and he he was a real honest to God transsexual before it became hip. And he had his hair pulled back in, the, in that Latino way where it was shiny. And he, he had very feminine features and he was very small. He was maybe five, three or five, four and very petite. And you had to force yourself not to look at him because he was so, he was beautiful. And among the, there's only one way to say it. I mean, look, I'm as straight as an arrow, but I'll, the guy was beautiful. I don't. I don't know any other way to put it. This was not Bruce Jenner. I mean, this was a guy that you would have never known. This this was a man. Never. Right. By the way, he had his junk. He he was a man, but he, but he absolutely and it was he would sew up his his uh, his prison outfits to be tighter and thing and 
it, it, everyone just tolerated it. It was fine because not to be blunt, but I'll be blunt. He was blowing half of the Pisces. There's something cultural among the Pisces, the, 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 the foreign Mexican guys in particular, when they're in prison, the boundary to what is heterosexual and homosexual for a lot of them just goes away. Right. And it's a cultural thing. So again, didn't participate, just aware of it. But the bottom line is Pisces, no one has to are, force anybody. <laughs> but those those Pisces, those are those are generally, like you said earlier, those are the drug traffic groups, right? Or the sure. cartel guys. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, they're mostly cartel. So management or the grunts. Go ahead. So how would the the drug legalization, how would that affect prisons in your view? It would empty what it would empty the prisons. Okay, so number one, people that are in there for possession and sale should be pardoned and their records expunged if, when drugs are made legal because they're only selling. Remember that the vast majority of these hardcore addicts that are using this, and I realized that on TV, I just saw the show on Netflix about uh, the, the the family that did the Oxycontin thing and uh, the name of oh, the, I forget yes. the name of the drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know what uh, I'm talking about. Oh, my goodness. It's the Sackler family, isn't it? The Sacklers, right. And yes. I watched it, and by the time it was over, I hated them. I hated them like I've never hated anything in my life. Oh, that, that um, Netflix crew can make you hate anybody or love anybody. However, the central story was the guy, uh, Taylor Keach, who used to play, he was on Friday Night Lights TV show, and then he was on that, he was the guy with the lead in Battleship. I mean, you, you'd know him to see him. Played this um, body shop owner and automobile garage owner that, is hurt in an accident on site and his doctor gives him oxycontin and his life spirals out of control and by the time it's over there's no happy ending to this battle this ends badly that's a hollywood creation so if you look at 10 people that go into rehab for um opiate abuse eight out of ten of them are um heroin addicts that, that never use oxycontin and the two that are using oxycontin trans transition to it on the street because it was cheaper to buy it than to buy heroin almost nobody what's interesting is as the number of oxycontin prescriptions has gone down 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 the rate of opiate deaths has stayed the same so really i'm not making an excuse for the sacklers but really what we're really doing is making it difficult for the vast majority of people who used it the correct way because it's the one thing that gave them relief. Now they're suffering and they're sure. suffering because of propaganda, not because of reality. Now, look, I am not Absolutely, advocating yeah. drug use in any way, shape or form. I'm saying that you no, know, it's only being used because it's easier and cheaper and smaller to smuggle across the border and in, in a free and open right. legal market. It wouldn't be used at all. And if, if there was competition, Just you would be able to go get oxy if you if you wanted it, you wouldn't have to resort Walk into Walgreens and buy it off off the shelf. That's right. how it should be. It should be available. I mean, obviously, an age restriction, obviously, and obviously, that, a lot know, of anti and, and obviously, a lot of anti-drug education, and obviously. But let me give you the the bottom line here. And by the way, there is a real-world example of this. Almost, and they and they did it sort of halfway. They only decriminalized, but Portugal, Portugal's violent crime went from the highest in the Western world to nearly zero. They're the safest country in the West. Period. The safest city at night to be in in the world is Lisbon. Okay, the number of, of opiate deaths per capita, in other words, if you compare it to how many deaths per per um, million people of opiates, 
six, six people per million die of opiate uh, or drug-related deaths in Portugal. In our country, it's 62, okay? We have 10 times the per capita rate of death of Portugal with our illegal drugs. And Portugal made all drugs and you, you can use them if you want them. And it, it works, it works, it works, it works. And it'll work here. And what it will do is number one, first of all, there are three things that a state spends money on primarily, education, infrastructure, and prisons. Now, every state, Republican or Democrat, blue or red, it doesn't matter, always needs money for the for the two most important things, which is schools and infrastructure. So prisons, they're, they're forced to do, but it's become an industry. In Arizona, I'll use my state because I just know it's numbers off the top of my head. We spend $1.1 billion a year in prison, on prisons. Um, if drugs were legal, That's a budget we, would save $800 million, we would save $800 million a year. And with right. that $800 million a year, we could do a lot of very cool things. Now, depending on imagine you do that in every state. Yep. So number one is the drug war has to end because to do all the other things I'm talking about, uh, some of them take money. But so I am not a big advocate. We get rid of the drugs. Yeah, currency. We, we get, get rid, rid of the, of the drugs. drugs. You have all that money that's on the table now. Um, you make that estimate. So what are we going to use that money for now at that point? Or is there more cuts to come before you spending? No, no. So, okay. well, there is there are more cuts to come. We'll get to that okay. in a minute. So the first thing, let's talk about the traditional nuclear family, because that's really the, the well, that's the core of the nice, reform, right? So that was my next question. Almost virtually almost all uh, mass shooters are products of single parent families. Not all, but almost all. Almost all serial killers. Okay. Heavily, heavily single parent family situations. Um, so it's not that every everyone who grows up in a single parent family turns out bad. That's not what I'm saying, which is what they always, you know, when someone argues with me, they that's, try to that's pin it on hearing. They well, it's a red herring argument. It's, you know, I never said that. I'm just sure. saying, not a, the statistics are higher. If you're going to look at it on a plain sheet of paper, the people who have <laughs> stayed together, they are going to have a much less rate of committing it's violent crime. And yeah, it's causative. It's, it's not a correlation, it, it, it's a cause. So let's talk, what destroyed the, the traditional nuclear family? And three things did. Let's start with the first thing that we can do something about, it won't cost money, and that's no-fault divorce. Right. The no-fault divorce, the first no-fault divorce law was passed in 1967 by Ronald Reagan in California. All the other states followed. Reagan, by the way, said later that it was the greatest mistake of his life. Really? Because, yes, because taking away, when you get married and have a child, now I'm, I'm being very clear, have a child. If you get married and you don't have a child, everything I'm saying doesn't apply. There's no harm, no foul. You want to get a divorce, get a divorce. Because you're not going to get married in the first place. That's another story. But <laughs> if you're getting married to have children, okay, once you conceive that child, and then I should say, her coming from a Catholic perspective, uh, I, I Catholic and I practice, so that's where that's coming from. Okay. When you conceive that child, at that moment, it's not about you anymore. It's about Correct. the child. Okay. So making divorce, another long, uh, making marriage into another long-term relationship, which is what no-fault divorce has done, has not been productive. It's made divorce expected. People, and all that's done is make women miserable. This was all done in the name of feminism, but it was just stupid because mm -hmm. of the realities of culture and life but anyway i don't want to go down that the, the feminist path right no, now it's okay we can get the, the best way the best way i think to clear this this um 
because it can get ugly quickly is so no fault divorce is is basically the fact that either party can bring up the fact that they're unhappy and they can bring up their own reasons and they can basically attain a divorce what would be so you had to go to court and litigate it like anything else okay okay so you had to go to court and litigate it would that be the solution yeah well there's an easy solution get the government out of the marriage business the government why is the government involved go. in licensing your marriage Okay, marriage should be sanctioned either by your church, if you're religious, or synagogue, right. I'm Jewish, or or temple, or mosque, or whatever it is you go to. And what if, what you're, if not, you're not practicing? If, if, if you're um, secular, then you it's a legal contract. You draw up with an attorney, and no one's okay. going to sign a contract that doesn't protect them. The government right. doesn't need to be involved in this. Okay. There will be family practice attorneys by the, by the hundreds of thousands who will have marriage documents ready to go it'll be on legal soon but no one's going to sign a marriage document without protecting themselves and that's what it ought to be okay now those of us who practice religion and you as a practicing catholic marriage is forever and and, and the and for practicing Correct. jews you have to get a get which is you basically have to crawl on your hands and knees to a panel of rabbis because they and this is not to hurt you. This is movies make it seem like it's to hurt you. What it does is protect the culture and the society. Okay. Correct. It's good for everybody. And it, and it also but, prepares you for that inevitable, like in, in sick and in health, it could not be more obvious what it's trying to say. It's not just talking about when you get sick and get the flu. It's talking about when things don't go well in the relationship. It, you write it, it out. It, not only do you write it out. You don't use make little, you know, for example, it is not child abuse for the kids to see their parents fighting. Mm -hmm. Part of childhood is learning how to be an adult. They're going to fight with their spouse one day, same sex or not. And, and doing it healthily in front of the kids and not exploding. I, I, and look, if daddy or mommy are alcoholics, as long as they're functional alcoholics, so what? I hate to tell you that, but that's not grounds for divorce. And it's it is the divorce truth of, of statistics. If mommy is sleeping under a bridge, okay, at that's night a with the homeless, that's a different story. And if domestic violence, first of all, let's get clear on domestic violence. 80% of police calls for domestic violence is the woman beating up the man. 80%. I want to make that very, very clear because men do not generally strike women. Virtually every man raised by a single mother or two parents learns that lesson. You don't strike women under any circumstance. And there's a reason for that. Even a 66-year-old man, I'm in reasonably good shape for 66, but if I hit a 21-year-old woman, I could kill her. Okay? Now, and I know that. I'm just because I'm a man and I have the bone structure of a man and I'm six foot three and, you know, and I'll, I could kill her. So I, there is no circumstance under which I would hit a woman. And that's true of my sons. And that's probably true of you and your brothers and sisters and cousins. Men don't hit women for that reason. Women hit men all the time because they know that generally there will be no retribution. The other part of that statistic is the other part of that statistic is. 100% of domestic violence involves alcohol, 100%. Okay, so we need to do a little, a little contextualizing around domestic violence. Now, if there is a man, and there are these men, who are beating the snot out of women, out of the mother, that is absolutely grounds for divorce. Okay, that's 100%. not what I, I am not, that is not the environment you wanna raise your children in. I concur, society would concur. But any any good attorney would write that into a contract. If you lay a hand on her, 
you get she gets everything, buddy. That's going to be part of the contract, right. and it protects the women. It protects the women. Okay, no fault divorce screwed women in the old days. I know there's this myth that our entire culture is built on a, a patriarchy, but it's bullshit. It, it, the reason there was a patriarchy for the first 10,000 years of human civilization is because the jobs that men do are too dangerous, too physical, generally speaking, for women to do. And there was no middle class and there were no white collar jobs until the 20th century and the advent of fossil fuel driven technologies. Until then, most people worked in agriculture. And I'm sorry, 80% of the population worked in agriculture. The other 20% did heavy labor blacksmiths and all that kind of, women did, they can't do it. Sorry, that was the reason the family broke down that way. Plus, until uh, the, the advent course. of antibiotics in the 20th century, again, driven by fossil fuel driven technologies, until that happened, 30% of women died in childbirth. Okay, you- Absolutely. You just, I mean, not necessarily in the first one, but that very few women got all the way through to the end. Very few women. I mean, God bless her, Queen Victoria had 16,000 children. I think there was actually 13. I'm not 13,000, like 13. But yeah. why did she make it so well? Partially, she had great genes. Partially, she had the best medical care in the world. She was the Queen of England. But most people lived in the gutter. There was no middle class to speak of at the time. Correct. You, and so you were the top of the patriarchy was how you, it was done to protect the women and the children. It wasn't to keep them down, it was to protect them. It was the exact opposite of this bullshit history that people, anyway. Well, I think part of that, part of that is acknowledging, and I, obviously this is a part of your plan, because you have to acknowledge the distinct differences between men and women, right? And it goes down to the genes. It goes down to the pure differences between the sexes and acknowledging that it doesn't diminish the value of a woman or devalue a man. It just lays out that there's certain things that you need to acknowledge physically about men and women that are different. A woman. A woman is never going to play linebacker for the Giants. Just not going to happen. Right. Okay. It's just not going to unless she wants to die. Yeah, she'll she'll be dead. I mean, there are just certain things. Correct. I don't know why that's hard to get. Okay. So number one, we have to we have to get if we simply get the government out of the divorce business, no fault divorce goes away because no one in their right mind would sign that contract. You'd have, right. you'd have to be and crazy. That means that you're going to have to make some more considerations into it. So then. And then you're, I, I assume part of your plan as well is promoting religious because you need to promote that. You need to promote that, uh, that all family values, the communities and family values. We need to re-promote that in our country. I consciously designed the 1964 plan on stoicism and, ob and objectivism. And the reason I, I used those two philosophies was I, I do understand that the secular movement is larger than it's ever been. And if we can't get people back into church, and you know, when I have this discussion, look, I'll be honest with you, I'm a Jewish agnostic, I'm not sure. Maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't. Judaism does not put a lot of emphasis on afterlife. Unlike Christianity, Jews never talk about afterlife. Heaven is not a thing with Jews. And there's no hell for Jews. There's no hell, there's no Satan, there's no, it's just a very different life thing. But that's not, but I'm, I'm a Jew because the whole cultural structure and religious structure and the rules, you know, what chosen people means, and people never get this, we weren't chosen to be special from God. We were chosen to bring God's laws to the rest of the world. Right. So when Moses came down from Sinai and handed down the Ten Commandments, he was fulfilling the Jews as the chosen people. He brought God's laws to the people. And over the years, we've that's Jews are big into the law. That's not some kind of coincidence. We invented it, basically. 
and no, and no, no society can operate without laws that people voluntarily adhere to because you can't have the police everywhere unless you're a Nazi. But Absolutely. so number one is we've got to restore the nuclear family. And when they read the white paper, they'll get more of that. Let, let's move on to number two. The number two Absolutely. cause of the destruction of the nuclear family was the birth control pill. Now, this is, this I want to make huge. very clear. Yeah, this is huge. I want to make this very clear. I am not advocating making the birth control pill illegal. I'm saying drug legalization. I, I was going to say that pretty hypocritical. <laughs> no, no, no. In fact, I don't think there should be. I mean, I'm pretty libertarian in my thought process. I, I don't think prescriptions are necessary. I don't think normal people take drugs with us, heavy drugs without asking their doctor in the first place. It Correct. just makes things unnecessarily expensive. But, but having said that, um, back to the birth control pill, stay on subject. So prior to the birth control pill, and again, you're Gen Z and I'm a boomer, but when, in my generation, most women married as virgins and most men married very sexually inexperienced or virgins. Now right. it's not that they didn't do heavy petting. I mean, you know, what is sex? I, I can tell you that in high school, without becoming graphic, we did everything but sex. You know what I mean? Right. So was it sex? Sure. Okay. It's But at the very same time, there's a reason for society's hypocrisies. I'm sorry, but there is a reason. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't like it. We all have our freak flag, but you don't necessarily have to let it fly. Everyone doesn't have to see your freak flag. Everyone has one. Don't share it, okay? And that right. was one of those things. Everyone knew that, yeah, everyone, I've touched plenty of girls where I shouldn't when I was in high school and vice versa, but and it was fun. And, and then the sexual revolution came and then everyone had sex all the time and I was there and it was really right. fun. But here's what happened, okay? It, we, the, another protection of women went away. So women suddenly could have sex as readily as any man. That's why if you go on TikTok now, there everyone's talking about body count. What's your body count? Look, I'm not approved when I tell you that what this does, when a woman has a lot of sexual experiences, she begins, and this has been proven in study after study after study, she begins getting an unrealistic view of what's out there and, right. and who's to marry. And, and they put it off and they keep thinking, well, this guy. This well, they also, now, it also starts to, if they ever do settle down, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure study after study has shown them the more partners that a female has had the the worse that her treatment towards her inevitable husband is and the higher rate of divorce as well. well that's right. And you're, you you didn't even change the set. You're right online. What it does is it introduces comparison into something where there was never comparison. So when two, in, when two inexperienced people got together and they were going to be married the rest of their lives, because as quaint as it sounds, that's how it was until 19, the 1960s. And you knew you were committed. Sex was like pizza. It's good. You know? Right. It's good. If, and if you've ever had a Brooklyn pizza, you wouldn't know. If all you had was Casey's Pizza in Iowa, which is a pretty good pizza, by the way, but it isn't Brooklyn pizza, but okay, because it's it's what you have, right? Yep. And, so, and, and anyone who's been in a long-term relationship in a marriage knows that, you know, all that lust, lust is God's way of getting you together with a girl, and then love develops after you're married. There's no such thing as love right. at first, time, first sight. That's another societal bullshit story from, it's from all movies. Lust. It's lust. And it's the reason that we have that is because what nature wants you to do is get married as early as humanly possible and reproduce because it's the healthiest right. for you. Putting off your, your um, if you're a woman, putting off having a baby to your 30-year-old is a very bad idea because the drop in fertility is precipitous, precipitous. And, you know, 
a lot of women suddenly i saw it in my daughter-in-law okay i saw her baby clock go off it was amazing she was the last person on earth who thought she wanted children now she can't have them fast enough okay it's there's something that takes place and if if you don't have a mate and here's what happens all the good men get taken they do there's still plenty of women who are smart and get and they they marry those men in college and they marry those men in high school and the uh, people the divorce rate is high because of all there are a lot of existing marriages that break up but if the new people coming in first most people stay married it's 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 the divorce rate is not 50 percent. it looks like it is because it's figures lie and liars figure again i don't want to get into statistics which ought to be talking you about divorces anyway. you have a lot of yeah most people stay married so most of the good men virtually all the good men are taken right away the only way they're going to be available at right they got married early is it, and they're starting to have a family yeah and they're committed to their wives and they still go to church and they still believe in traditional values not that they aren't hypocrites like everybody else not that there aren't things going on in, in the it there is a reason for culture's hypocrisies i'm sorry there just is and there and there are a reason for these fences to be up and you know who are we to think ten thousand years of civilization is suddenly invalid suddenly ten thousand years of civilization doesn't work anymore okay so we're not going to do anything about the birth control pill but what we can start to do is teach chastity in school i was going to say so now you just need an information campaign and it needs to be one the same way we did for smoking statistics yep. we took smoking from 100 percent almost down to about 30 percent just for education we took littering from everybody when i was a kid threw crap out the window to nobody does you would be right you would be appalled yeah the percentage amazing would. yeah most people would go and pick it up it's and you know what i hate to tell you i can remember the moment that i there was literally a moment when that happened and it was the most effective television ad i've ever seen back in the day when there were only four networks and it ran on all of them and it was an indian chief who stood by a highway and a bag full of mcdonald's and crap landed at his feet at his on his moccasins and he looks up and he's a very powerful and imposing looking guy and it just a tear runs out of his eye and it just affected everybody i'll never forget it it was like a cultural phenomenon there's no reason why we can't do that with chastity as well obviously and you know I as i said in the white paper i let madison avenue do it i would the government basically is going to screw up anything it touches but i bring in the best minds in advertising and promotion and, and i tell them how do we market correctly to that to that generation yeah, absolutely, to the younger generations yeah yeah i mean you can't let it I mean nothing to anybody older than 25 you're targeting the younger generation with hopefully well-meaning things guys yeah. my age should not even be making the laws regarding that let alone be involved in the education Correct. okay you know it, we just don't connect Correct. okay so that's how we handle the birth control issue so step one is get get the government out of the out of the marriage business and that'll get rid of no-fault divorce step two is educate on chastity now we're going to get to step three and step and step three is we have to end welfare as we know it now Welfare, I want to be very clear. There's a massive suck on our economy. Yeah. It, it, that's not even the half. The other half of it is it's destroyed. It is the largest contributory factor to destroying the nuclear family, more than the other two combined. It's got to be one of the highest it, divorce rate contributors. Welfare, AFDC is what welfare is, aid to family with dependent children, pays you to have it only pays you if you have children without a husband at home if you're a woman and it pays you more the more children you have i mean could you could you design a more destructive and the, program and the wealthier that your ex-husband was let's let's exactly 
<laughs> and but there's no ex-husband. These people down. Let me tell you what lifestyle is down in the criminal class. They're born into a family where their mother's collecting welfare. The mother is either a drug addict. Oh, that's that's, that's true. Old. That's true. That's true. I thought we were talking about divorced women. I apologize. No. No, no, no. I'm talking about crime now. I'm back on crime. So all of these women who have had all of these babies without husbands, that's what they download into their children. Right. Poverty used to be something that you fell into, and then the family pulled together and you worked your way out. of. What it's become now is a lifestyle, and it, and it traps you because when you add up AFDC and SNAP, which is what we used to call food stamps. SNAP is the food, right? Right. Right. And the rent support and Medicaid. In its various forms, state to state, you add that all together for a family of for a, a mother with three children out of wedlock will get about $47,000 a year in welfare benefits that are various. Why would she ever go to benefits. work? Because you get out of those work? benefit brackets as soon as you pass, what, $30,000 of income a year? Yes. And now we get to the second thing, which is not only is that a huge disincentive to work, but it's, it's an incentive to have more children. That's all they do. And they just breed and breed and breed and breed and breed. And then they sell drugs because they're they want to have a little extra spending money, but they can't earn it legally because that would cost them welfare benefits. So if you live in the ghetto or the urban area, call it what you want. <laughs> everyone's selling drugs, man. It's no big deal. You sell you sell some right. drugs and and you make some money on the side and whatever you gotta do to get prison. Yeah. Maybe you going to prison is just another thing. You know, it's like, eh, I'm going to prison. You know, it's 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 amazing what a lifestyle but that is. needs a culture it, change it, it needs a culture change we'll get to that okay so what i what i think we should do is instead of saying let's end the welfare state which would cause rioting i'm saying let's devolve it to states i was going to say it's got to go to the states individual budgets well yeah I persuaded a lot of, of um, progressives this way, and here's the argument I make. I always ask them, tell me, what is the most successful welfare state in the world? What country does welfare better than anybody else? And depending on which, they'll name a Scandinavian country, Sweden, Norway, Denmark. Okay, and all three of them do a really good job with welfare. They do, I, I concede they do a good job with welfare. Now, they are not socialist countries. In fact, on the free market, meter sweden is number six and we are like 80 right now we're just above bangladesh right. we have regulated i'm not kidding we have regulated ourselves into anyone who thinks we live they live in a capitalist economy doesn't understand capitalism i'm just saying okay we live in a mercantilist economy but that's another discussion for another day so actually it's going to become a big discussion in about 30 seconds when the whole economy collapsed but anyway um a state can't print money. That's number one. Number right. one is states can't print money. That makes them much less dangerous because what we're doing now is so amazingly immoral. We're printing up enormous amounts of money and creating debt, public debt, north of 32 trillion and climbing that With we're never going to pay off it. in our lifetimes. We're putting current benefits on future generations that'll get nothing mm -hmm. for it. So, for example, when Eisenhower built the interstate highway system, he borrowed a lot of money to do it. But and future generations paid those bonds back, but everyone benefits from the interstate highway system. You know, right. it, he built it really to keep America's nuclear arsenal on the move all the time. That's why it was really built. But it has the secondary benefit is it changed the culture of the United States and made us a mobile country. And everyone benefits from that. And that's a good example of good government spending.
Stupid government spending is borrowing from the future to pay the present when there's no possible way that the future is going to benefit from the present. We're doing that with everything, including Social Security. So let's talk about welfare. I don't want to talk about Social Security because that's not my thing here. And my fellow seniors will rip my guts out. So because no one wants to hear the truth. And let's just talk about it as welfare. Let's just talk about it as welfare. It's, it's a totally it's, fine. It's old age welfare. That's all it was. It's old age welfare disguised as a pension program. That's all it ever is, was. Or, and really briefly, when Franklin Roosevelt set the retirement age of 65, it's because the average life expectancy in those days was 63. And he himself died at 63, by the way, which means he never would have collected. He wouldn't have even and, done. No, yeah, not a dime. But you're yeah. expecting a very few amount of people to reach that age where they're so incompatible. They're they're incompatible with the workforce at the moment. They need to collect the check. And there were 159 active workers for every every you person have, on Social Security. You wouldn't have dedicated lawyers that are set for this yeah. to gain people the most money possible. Two to one today. Two to one. 159 to one to two to one. We can't. This is unsustainable. We're just printing money. This is ridiculous. Anyway, let's talk about the welfare state and. and ending crime and putting our culture back. The rest of it will fall. If we can if we can repair the descent into I don't know sodomy. Yeah, I mean that that we're that we're we're there are things being talked about publicly that if you would have told me 10 years ago that we are going to be talking about things like gender assignment of 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 prepubescent kids and if you would have said that to me in 2013, I'd have said you were out of sure. your mind. Are you crazy? Sure. I mean, this is just a circling the drain of that. How about the world and events that are going on, right? So you have wars going on all over the all over the world again. Like we can't get away that from that. Well, we've been at war since World War II. I've, I've, I'm making a, a big good joke. I, I knew war was going to go on for the rest of my life, but some people are naive in my generation. <laughs> And we also don't believe in in holding any sort of border as well. We believe in open borders, which I think is a problem. And I think you acknowledged that earlier. We, we don't we don't want to open the border, but we definitely want to control. No, but and, we need to and, make sure that we know who we're getting through and get them through when no, they can be good work. If you made me dictator for a week, I could fix the border. I mean, yeah. I, I it, like that. But you know, like everybody, a lot of people. The thing about a plan, like when you read the 1964 plan, I tell everybody all the time, there are parts of it you're going to hate, absolutely hate. Something that's why it's a plan. You wrote a lot of words, yeah. Right. It's a plan, not propaganda. Okay. So there's a difference between a plan and propaganda. You don't have to agree with all of it, but if you have to take a step back, I based it on the four pillars of stoicism and an objective reality. Okay. So wisdom, courage, justice, and moderation are, are you... That that was the foundation on which Judeo-Christian thought was built. Okay, so frankly, that's where we need to be. And but it, when we ignore these values, it's it's at our peril. Okay, so we send welfare back to the states. Number one, because states can't print money, so they can't borrow money in the future to pay for the present. That's number one, and they can't cause inflation, and they can't wreck their economy doing it. That's number one. Number two. If we're 50 little countries. The reason that Sweden, let's use Sweden as an example of a successful welfare state, and I'm going to use them because yeah. they're the largest Scandinavian country. They're the biggest one. Correct. They have 10 million people. In other words, there are more people in the greater New York City area than there are in the entire country of Sweden. Absolutely. Okay. Now, New York City itself are, is basically a country in its economy, and so is Los Angeles. The other thing that Sweden has that New York City doesn't have is Sweden is racially homogeneous. It's racially and culturally homogeneous. Everybody's white. Everybody's a Lutheran. Now, I 
I understand there's going to be a few rim outliers. It's not 100%. I mean, it the, is damn. damn yes. Damn, Go look at this. Everybody's. And everybody is aloof. As goes okay. for each of the nations that you mentioned earlier as well. Right. The homogeneous rate is. Because they're the biggest one. And they're far. Okay. Yeah. Yep. They, and here's what, uh, here's what Bernie Sanders never tells the, the truth about. The rich don't pay for it in Sweden. The middle class does because that's where the money is. What people don't right. understand is the if numbers. we took all 600, there are 600 roughly American billionaires. If we took all of their assets, all of them, their houses, their money, their cars, their we took it all away to pay for this, we would be paying about six months of the interest on the existing national debt. And then we'd have massive unemployment, a, a depression like you wouldn't believe. And it would be the end. I mean, it's you just have all the drivers of economy now on the street. Yeah. The vast majority of these people are creators. And even if, right. when you have a billion, even if you inherit a billion dollars, you create jobs every time you buy shit and do shit. And you got to understand, anyway, the money is in the middle class. That's where the money is. So in Sweden, the, yep. the bottom tax credit without deductions is 56%. Okay, right. which so is which think, is not far away. If you live in New Jersey or you live away um, in California, not far of what we're paying. It's just what we're getting back. You're paying, but over fifty percent of our country today pays no income tax whatsoever, federal or right. state, no matter what state they live in. Right. Because in Sweden, right. in Sweden, where there's the country is as big as a state, there's no getting out of it state to state. You're going to pay fifty six percent, and you're not going to get any of it back. And that's the base. And is well, that's not necessarily true. You get it as social services, right? So that's where the point, the socialism comes from. Yes. You also, by the way, in Sweden, have a twenty-five percent VAT. Okay, a twenty-five percent. So everything you buy is twenty-five percent more expensive than it has to be to help pay for the welfare state. So um, today I went to Aldi and I did a little bit of shopping. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of shopping at Aldi, but it's awesome. So. Um, I've been to it a couple of times, only on force though, because they're not really in my area. Oh, they're so they're so cool. So I was at Aldi today, and I what did I buy that was really a great deal? Okay, well I'll just say uh, I bought I make my own refried beans, so I bought a bag of beans. Okay, and the bag of beans at Aldi seventy five cents, and in the gross regular grocery store it's like a buck and a half for pinto beans. Okay, okay. I live in the Southwest, of course, I make my own refried, and I lived in Mexico for six years. So you know, yeah, everybody in New Jersey here don't compare prices. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But in, in Sweden, it would be 25% higher than that for the, exactly right. the same thing, right. plus the importation cost and everything else. So, but they they pay that and you, you, you got it right away because they're getting value for their dollar. They feel like when they walk into a Swedish hospital that's part of their national health care system, they get very good treatment. They, they don't have problems with care rationing that other places do. Like in Canada, they ration care. It's just amazing. In Canada, right. in the UK as well. The wait for a, a like people my age always need new hips. The wait in Canada for a new hip right now is eighteen months. You can't. Oh my goodness! I really? Titanium. Yeah, my left wow. shoulder is titanium. Okay, I I have arthritis in my shoulders. A I pitcher? have a titanium left shoulder. What's that? You a pitcher? Uh, tennis, tennis, dude. <laughs> tennis. Okay. Uh, so, and both arms because I just was. Did you get the elbow too? Around. Yeah, everything. I yeah. got the works. You pay for this as you get older, but that's okay. It's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's arthritis, but I had my shoulder replaced and I had a very okay. good result. Here's the thing. When I decided to get it replaced, I got it replaced. I went to see my 
primary physician. I asked him to recommend a good surgeon. He recommended a surgeon. I went to see the surgeon. The surgeon said, yeah, you, you know, they did the test. Yes, you need it. Did it. Physical therapy, yada, 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 and out. But if I had tried to do that in Canada, I'd still be waiting. Right. And my shoulder on a scale of one to 10, the pain was a 12. I mean, it, to live for 18 months in that kind of pain, or like some people live with hip pain or whatever, I mean, come right. on. So, but in Sweden, that doesn't happen because they pay for it and they, and they get a good result because they're dealing with a homogeneous population, which means they can design the system because they understand how everybody is going to react to certain stimulus. Where in this country, there's no telling how someone's going to react because we have a million different flavors, which is our right. strength, but it's always it's also our weakness. And the way to overcome that is to devolve all of the, the social safety net to the states and let the governors and the state legislatures and the mayors design their state welfare system, which will gain two things. Number right. one is the, the it'll have to be run a lot more efficiently because they won't be able to borrow. They're going to be under a budget. Yep. And number two, they live in the same neighborhood with their customers. And, and you cannot overemphasize that. You know, it's one thing to screw people right. in Washington and Arizona. It's not While you're thing. sitting in Washington, right. I know where the governor of Arizona lives. It's only not that far from where I live right now. I could show up at Katie Hobbs' front door if I wanted to. I don't want to. a whole lot more accountability, you know. Yeah. Let me say this. She, she's like enough. And she's not bad. She's not good. She just is. But. Really, if she did something horrible, I know my fellow Arizona, fellow Arizonans, they show up on her front door. And that's mm -hmm. that's the, the beauty of anything. The smaller something is, the more efficient it is. Okay, Anyone who's been in business understands that. So the state government and the local government is going to do a much better job than the federal government mm -hmm. and for a lot less money. So you're going to get and they're going to design. For example, Wyoming has more horses than people. There are not a million people living in Wyoming. Why are they even paying for federal, for welfare? They probably can let the churches and synagogues take care of it. Really, the way they... Realistically, yeah. a, Realistically, in a state like Wyoming, there's just not that many poor people, and there are plenty of private agencies... That would be able to put the donation on for... Yeah. yeah, or maybe a minimum. But on the other hand, California and New York are a different story, and we'll have to have a different design system. Okay. That's okay as long as they're paying for it. But that's what they got. The middle class has to pay for it. And if they don't, then they're getting something for nothing, and that can't go on, which is where we're in now. Right. Okay, you can when you're up when you, when your upkeep exceeds your income, you're dead. Yep. Okay, I mean it. It just there's just no way out. Absolutely, you know, you, Herb. If you don't mind, can we take a quick break? I actually need to run to the bathroom. Um, I don't uh, want to stop this. I know this is running a little bit long, but I don't care. And by the way, I'll take a bathroom break because I am an older man and I always need to take a bathroom break. So yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Me too. Okay. So where were we? We're, we're All right. So, so I believe that we kind of just finished up wrapping up the, or at least a somewhat conclusion to the okay. welfare state. Now the welfare state is one of the biggest items that I would say every election cycle, doesn't matter if it's national or state, it gets hit from the corners and they kind of beat around the bush about somebody always mentions it and then it gets flushed down the drain because nobody wants to talk about it. Well, they're, they're, they're not going to. I mean, first of all, you have to get a, a dose of reality. We have a very, very, every, every barrier that the founders put into the Constitution to prevent what's happening now, we've kicked down but one. Okay, and that's the electoral college, and they're dying to kick that one down too, because these people have no 
understanding of the long-term consequences of what they do. They, right. they have no wisdom. Speaking of the pillars of Stoicism, there's no wisdom in this. You know, Thomas Sowell, my favorite living economist, says there are three questions that need to be asked before you, you have any new program. Question number one is, as compared to what? So if you say, for example, if when LBJ decided to have a war on poverty, his first question should have been as compared to what? Who has ever had a successful war on poverty? Nobody. Jesus said the poor will always be with us. Well, I mean, I might be Jewish, but I know what the gospel says on the subject, and I know what the Old Testament says on the subject. The poor will always be with us. Right. So what made him think? As compared to what? It could have never succeeded. Then comes the second question. Even if you think that your idea will succeed where nobody else has before, which is pretty arrogant, then comes show me your data. Show me the relevant studies that, that would prove to me that you have some basis in reality for what you're doing. So a good example of that today, let, let, let's get off of welfare for a minute. Let's go to EVs, okay? The government is trying to force, the government's trying to force a, an entirely new industry and product on a country that was never asking for it, okay? So the question that, is- that doesn't have the baseline of infrastructure to handle it either. When has this ever worked as compared to what? There is no successful no, example of a market being created no by There is no example to point to. Nope. There's no data to support it. Did they say and everybody needed to buy an automotive, uh, automobile when they first came out? Did they mandate it? Did they say everybody has to get to work fast enough? It, you found out quickly you needed to buy a car when your competition was going. You live in a very congested part of the country, because I've lived in that part of the country where towns are right next to each other and you go. Yeah, back in Pittsburgh, yeah, of course. Yeah, but I live in a part of the country now where I can drive for hours and hours without coming to a town. The West is all like that. Absolutely. It's very wide open. Electric vehicles here make absolutely no sense. Correct. And, and, even, and why would you say that? Well, I can only wonder. Okay, I'm going to drop an F-bomb, but it gets pretty fucking hot here in the summer. I'm just going to throw this out. Yep. Okay, it gets pretty fucking hot. And you really haven't experienced heat until you've been in the desert by Yuma, Arizona. Side note, where what's I was the hottest freezing? temperature that you've experienced? 27. <laughs> and, I, and I experienced it. Yeah, people would say this was the hottest summer. It wasn't. This was in the 1980s in Phoenix. It got crazy hot. My shoes melted on the pavement. I, I mean, it, it was a crazy hot. Okay, so when you have to charge for a half an hour, you know, even a Tesla two, a supercharger will go, it takes a half an hour to get to 80%. And, and all the other chargers take hours and hours and hours. Okay, so anyone who buys another a different brand than Tesla is out of their goddamn mind, unless there's Tesla compatible, because that makes every other brand is useless if you're going to go right. on a cross-country trip, unless they're Tesla compatible. and do you want to sit out in like a hundred? I mean, this summer we had. Yeah, so you're going to sit say your dead car, and you're going to try to heat the uh, let the air conditioning run while you charge it up in a hundred degrees. Well, you're not going to charge it up that way. And 120, it's crazy hot. It's cr and the inside of your car is way hotter than that. Okay. I mean, if you have any other color but white for a car out of here, let you alone, are imagine how hot. unsafe getting a battery that hot is. Uh, dude, we go through batteries here like. Grant took Richmond, just saying. I can I can imagine that your rate of replacement is much higher. Plus, plus, they lose their range when they get too hot or too cold. 
Right. And you can't and you can't tow a goddamn thing behind. Me. Pardon my no, I'm slipping into my sailor talk now. But it, it irritates me. Like, for example, I tow a camping trailer up to go camping. I, if I had an EV, forget it. There's no such thing as an EV that can tow. I guess like I could buy the Ford electric truck and spend $100,000 for it. But I know guys who really buy pickup trucks out here in the West where they actually use them as pickup trucks. They're not going to spend $100,000 on an EV. Are you no, that's, gonna, no, that's a guy who wants to tow it. One fifty for about forty thousand bucks, and and it beat and see they're going to beat the shit out of them because they actually use their trucks. You know they're going to put in a bed liner and then they're just going to beat the shit out of that truck. Correct. They're going to carry rocks and desert landscaping and all kinds of crap back there. And come on, come on, let's get a little reality check. I mean, people out here yeah. laugh about it. You know, it's just you've yeah. got to be crazy. Anyway, that's a good example of. The government do so. I mean, if I were going to fix the government, the first thing I do is repeal the Nineteenth Amendment. Okay, that's no, that's the first thing I do, which is universal voting. That's that's a, a big, big mistake. I, I agree. Not, I think that's a huge mistake as well. Not having an educated voting population that you're sure is educated on what needs to be, you know, urgently taken you, care you of. You cannot let yeah. you cannot let parasites vote for how much they take. <laughs> Alexis de Tocqueville in 1815. It wrote in his history of in, in, in his pieces on America, he was a huge admirer of the American Revolution as compared to the French Revolution at the time. And he said the American uh, Republic will come to an end when they figure out they can vote themselves benefits they don't have to pay for. And here we are. OK, I mean, and that's why the that's why there was a land ownership requirement originally in the Constitution. And right, know, right, right. And then to imagine instilling that to my race here, but. Today, a, a land requirement would be impractical because a lot of people don't right. own land. Like this is not an agrarian society, but we could come up with a property calculation or an educational requirement. Or, or, well, I'll, you want to hear my idea for anti-politism? My 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 idea for a whole new a whole new kind of republic. You should, sure. should I share this craziness with you? Yes, absolutely. You're going to think I'm out of my mind. Okay, it doesn't matter. Okay, I came up with this on the track in okay. Yuma Prison. It came to me one day, and I thought it all the way through, and I swear to God, it's the greatest thing. It it would work, okay? It, now, let me preface. Both the 1964 plan and what I'm about to say will never happen unless and until the shit hits the fan. Right now, people will hear what I'm doing. What I'm hoping is they go to the website, they like what I'm talking about, they believe what I've said, and they'll hopefully volunteer and maybe donate some money. That would be great. By the way, I want to make this very clear. It's in the video. You probably saw this. I am not an officer of the, of the nonprofit. I do not sit on the board of directors. I have no, I am the, the, the figurehead and the creator. I purposely distanced myself from that because of my background. So there are other people involved, including our CFO is the CFO of a publicly traded corporation. She knows what she's doing. I I have no idea what our bank account is. I don't want to know. I don't care. Like it, it just isn't what why I'm doing this. Okay, so and obviously I'm not running for office because if I did, I would get laughed at. Although there's nothing to stop a felon from running for a federal office, by the way, only for state office really? in the state. But anyway. Okay. Um, we, we've had we've had felon congressmen before. We're about to have a felon president, I think. But anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, if I were going to bet money, I'd say we're going to probably have a felon president. But it's possible. Uh, it's possible. Well, yeah, but you know, in politics, a week is an eternity. Who knows? I, you know, yeah, I don't I, get into, it's not know, worth trying to read the tea leaves here, in my opinion. Um, 
read my shirt. Stop yeah. electing morons. Yeah, stop yeah. electing morons. Yeah, I mean, and I would add to that, stop electing people right. who are okay. some years old. With anti-politism, it's democracy by lottery. It's it's a republic, not a democracy. First of all, right. you have to understand we're not a democracy. We're a republic. We, right. we have representative government. You can't have a country this size and have a direct democracy. You, it would be impossible to have all 340 million Americans voting on every issue. That's insane. Right. So we're a republic. Okay, that's what a republic is. So how do we have a republic in the modern age and not do exactly what we're doing, which is spend ourselves over the cliff, which is what's going to happen and why this might be a viable alternative? And this is what how it came to me, because the, the end is coming. So, and by the way, just that one last digression on that, it's unavoidable. There's nothing that could be done now to stop. It's the wheels are in motion. There's it's and just the, the, just the interest scale. payments alone. Yeah. Just the interest payments alone are it's gonna it's it, it'll take very little to throw the slightly digressing. I, I know I, I'm a big digressor. I can't help myself, but the biggest mistake Joe Biden's made as president was breaking a promise that was made in 1948 that we've kept all this time until now, which is we, we promised in 1948 in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, that we would, if the world would use the dollar as its reserve currency, we would never weaponize the dollar. That, right. that was an explicit promise made by the United States government. And every single president and Congress since then, Democrat and Republican, have honored that promise until that idiot, senile, moron that we have in the White House decided to shut the Russians out of SWIFT, um, which is the international movement of money, that was weaponizing the dollar. And it is not some kind of coincidence that you're hearing more and more talk about people wanting to trade in alternative currencies. And one when did that occur? Reserve, pardon when, me? When, when did, did the Russian occur? cut out of SWIFT? Yeah. Uh, as soon as they invaded Ukraine, he did it within a week. He didn't think it through. This was a classic example of not thinking. But that it makes through. sense because that that's when you started hearing BRICS nations coming up with their alternative uh, currencies uh, from every angle. Nobody, tr nobody trusts us anymore. Once, once we broke that, I wouldn't. Well, I, I mean, it's it, Americans believe Americans believe a lot of myths. Like we've never defaulted on our debt. Yes, we have. We've defaulted <laughs> three times before. I mean, I, I. I don't want to go into it, but we've done three national defaults in, the, in our history. You know, people just have a lot of ideas because of our shitty education system that just aren't correct. But right. any, and we're going to have to default again. We're facing a default. That's what's going to happen. We're going to default at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's and it's not. It's but the difference now is it's going to be global. Once it, it'll be like dominoes falling. The amount of ties day. that the amount of of countries that are bought into our debt yeah that's going to be well, catastrophic how about that we're still the reserve currency for almost everybody if we go they right. all go and and anyway i could go on i don't want to go down the financial path because i really have nothing to say about it other than to scare the shit out of you but i'm just recognizing reality it's going to happen uh, it's, it's okay i've been it's what i've been looking uh looking at for but here's years the, at this point here's the here's the good news okay here's here's the good news the buildings will still be standing a day later. The streets will still be paved. Okay, the lights will still come on. Most people will still have a job. A lot of people won't, but most people will. And we will we will pull ourselves out of this 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 mess. Okay, if we don't descend into complete tribalism, which is what's happening today, and that's why I'm dwelling on the culture, and not 
It's so much the finances. But let, but let me discuss anti-politism. Anti well, the culture has to affect the the economics downstream. If you don't fix the underlying problem, then we're just going to root back inevitably when we vote in those people. You know, who it's like taught. how many times have you heard that we're going to go the way of Rome? People don't understand Rome never fell. It became a church. <laughs> See, what people don't understand is the Catholic Church is Rome. That's what it is. The Pope is the Pontifex Maximus. The nuns are Vestal Virgins. Now, I understand there's a whole different religious element, but Rome did not fall. It became a church. Western Rome became the Catholic Church. Eastern Rome became the Eastern Orthodox Church. They evolved into churches. We're not going to be that lucky. We're not going to evolve into a church. We're yeah, going right. We're going to circle the drain and go down hard, okay, like Weimar Germany. So let's... Let's be clear, Rome never fell. I, I mean, I, I know that that's a repeated myth, but Rome still lives. And the Vatican is magnificent. If, if you've ever been to the Vatican, it's worth going. It's magnificent. I'm not, okay. and I need anyway, it's magnificent. It, I, I just can't tell you how much I enjoy Italy to begin with. And, uh, and, and there's so much, but the Vatican is just to see the artwork. Okay. Oh, the Sistine Chapel, believe it or not, underwhelmed me. That was the one thing that underwhelmed really? me. But, yeah, it's yeah, it, I think it's lost on me, but no worries. Everything else was great. Okay, so here's here's anti-politism. The first thing we do is we keep the same number of congressmen, the same number of senators, two senators for every state, and this is whatever your population supports Congress-wise. And the reason we have a bicameral legislature is so the small states can't be rolled over by the big states. That's why we have a Senate theoretically is a break on the Congress, although we've completely eliminated the difference between the two, but that's another story. Okay, so how do we do this? We're not gonna do it with the obsequious glad-handing weasel maggots that we have now in both parties because their only, their only motivation is power. So yeah, how do we- do Power it? individually, not power even for the- That's right. So what I propose we do is we amend the constitution. First of all, every congressman and senator serves a single four-year term and out. Both four years for the Congress, four years for the Senate, and you're done. No reelection, especially no because the the meshing of the two that they're pretty much pretty much founders, the same. When, when the founders didn't term limit congressmen and senators, is because nobody lived that long. Remember that at the time of the, right. of the founders, if you lived to be forty five, you were a really old guy. Right. Okay, so I mean, if you ever go to one of these exhibits, I went to USC. They had the exhibits of all the dead people. You know, it was very interesting. But everybody from that period of time was forty something, laying in their coffins. You know, this one right. was forty one. And the number one cause of death was, are you ready for this? I love this. Here's a little trivia. The number one cause of death, tooth abscess. Tooth abscess. Killed more people oh, really? than anything else. Yeah, because they, it would get poisoned and then it would... And then it would um, now, I was going to say down. sepsis. Did it lead to sepsis? Sepsis, yeah. and then they were dead. And they had no idea. What, they didn't even know what bacteria was. So, right. um, anyway. What was oh so we divide the country up the same but instead of these gerrymandered odd shapes like we have a district here in, in Arizona that starts in Phoenix goes down I ten hits Tucson then turns west and runs down I eight all the way out to Yuma because that's where all the <laughs> yeah it's that's yeah. Roald, that's Roald Rehalva's congressional district it was it was gerrymandered form so he he'll never lose it I mean Raul yeah. I know Raul he's okay but I mean he's like every other politician, but he's yeah. he has a gerrymandered district so that he can't lose. There's a district in Scottsdale here that is like four city blocks. It's it's uh, what's his name? Um, Schweikert's district. He can't lose. It's 100 percent Republican. 
can't lose. There's there are no Democrats living in the heart. You can go across the country map and you can pick out, you know, probably 90 to 95 percent of districts are gerrymandered in this way. We're going to do away with all this gerrymandering crap. Every state cuts itself up into equal geometric, basically rectangles, however many states can accommodate with the borders and so on and so forth. Just evenly drawn. Square mileage, like try to do uh, just based on population, square mileage and try to keep it about the same. No population. Just square mileage. Just square mileage. Just by okay. square mileage. Okay. If there's only 10,000 people in one district and a million in the other, that's the way it goes. Okay. okay. Now, stay with me. Within that district, we do a census. We do an, an but the census is to discover the screens for who can be in the lottery to serve. Because we're going to change Congress and the, and the executive branch from being a career to a duty. And you're going to get drafted into it as opposed to selected so let me and let me explain so from the people that live in any district we want all the college graduates bachelor's degree or better we want all the entrepreneurs who have started a company with 10 or more employees that's lasted more than five years there are tons and tons of people who didn't go to college but started businesses i know lots of them who are brilliant and the reason i say five years is most if a business is going to fail it's going to fail in the first five years and i say 10 or more employees because if you've met a payroll you understand what it is to raise taxes Absolutely. so you know i don't want you know mom and dad's amway business in the garage doesn't count you know you got to have and there's nothing wrong with an amway i'm not like not but that's not a real business in the sense that I'm talking about so the families you're serving the amount of um you know it's a great argument to have though because it 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 proves the difference between the people that could start up this econ e-commerce business and run yeah. it for like three months and they're putting out sixty thousand dollars in revenue and that's fantastic but you're not looking at the family served you're not looking at the people of lives that you're changing you're not looking at overall strategy Right. There's nothing wrong with being a drop shipper and all that kind of mm -hmm. good stuff. You know, there's tons of cool, cool things to do, and that's fine. But that's not a business. That's just mm -hmm. a hustle. And by the way, I don't mean that in any bad way, but it's the hustle. That's what it is. And so, and it, it, it increasingly is becoming less and less profitable, and, you know, it'll transform into something else and so on and so forth. Right. So now, when you're talking about a business, you're thinking like, so for example, my family business is a landscaping business, grew up. Uh, since 1965, and it's carried up now to 30 plus employees, and yeah, and it's been in business longer than five years. So regardless of whether whoever's running it now went to college or not, they're eligible. They become okay. eligible, okay. And also the top third of income earners, regardless of whether they went to college. So if someone climbs the corporate ladder and gets to the top third, they're in senior management and above, and you know they're used to you making decisions. It. They they too qualify. So th all those people are segregated from the people that don't, okay? Now, from those people, they're all assigned a number, one through however many there are. So let's say there's a million in, in a given district. So one, so one, by the way, I've done the math based on demographics, approximately 54% of every um, district will qualify. Okay, about 46% won't and about 54% will on average across the country. I, and I've done the math. Just, Believe me, but if you want to go do it, be my guest. So um, those 54% will all get a number, one through however many. So let's say one through a million. And then there's going to be a lottery, the ping pong balls, just like they do it for the, the gamble. And if your number is, is popped up, you're the congressman. That's it. End of story. Now, so you're then, going to be the congressman. So then how about representation then within the public? Well, because we're doing a blind sampling, in other words, 
we're 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 basing the Congress only on merit. The selection to to be in the pool, you've done something meritorious to be in that pool. Oh, and you also have to be working full time. No retirees. No retirees. Um, if you if you're not pulling the cards, you don't get to decide. I'm sorry, you just don't. So trust fund babies, retirees. God bless them. Spend your money. Live long and happy. But you don't get to vote about how much you get. That's not going to happen. Okay, you've got to be actively the one paying the bill. So from that group, we pick the congressman. We also do it statewide. We do exactly the same thing statewide and pick the two senators. Now, the term of each new congressman will overlap the term of the last new congressman by six months. So for six months, he'll work side by side with his predecessor or her predecessor. And I'm going to use the he pronoun, but let's not get into that, okay? Just assume that I'm not an animal, and I mean anybody who gets selected. And we'll have a much more representative Congress because we're selecting at random. We'll have right. more Black people, we'll have more Asian people, we'll have more Jews, we'll have we'll get a better representation of the population, and half of them will be women for sure. However, it won't be the stupid half. Okay, it, it's funny how race and cultural differences melt away once you start to have to make a few bucks. It's right. basically what it comes down to. You know, I know plenty of black conservatives who think that a lot of this shit is completely out, out of bounds. They don't they don't open their mouth because they'll get shot down. I'll get to that in a minute. But there are plenty of conservatives. You'd be surprised how many Trumpers I know that are black. You you would right. be shocked. Okay. But maybe you wouldn't be shocked, but there are a lot, especially out here in Arizona. Um, but but having said that. If you haven't done anything with your life, you don't get to be in this pool. You get selected. Now, you're going to serve. You're going to overlap six months, OJT. You're going to serve four years. Now, the presidency, and by the way, you're going to get paid per diem, whatever it is you made the year before for the time you're in Washington. Now, look this up. You'll see it's true. 80% of a congressman or senator's time is spent raising money. If yes, you look at their calendar, 80% of it is either at dinners or gatherings or lobbying events or whatever it is, it's all done to, to raise money for the next election because it's the average congressional election costs about $13 million and the average senatorial election costs about $30 million. And to raise that kind of money, you have to be on the phone, smiling and dialing all the time. Well, in this system, since there are not gonna be any elections, this is all gonna be done by lottery and you can't cheat a ping pong ball. The reason I wanna use ping pong balls and not a computer is you can't rig a ping pong ball machine. Sometimes the simplest technology is the best technology because you can't, it'll all be on TV for everybody to see and the balls will pop up and you can't rig a ping pong ball. Just can't be done. So that's the that's why they still do lotteries that way. You can't screw with the computer. You can't have any accusation. There is no computer. It just pops up the ball. Okay, so now the president, oh, let me talk about the pay. So you want Congress won't be a full-time job. It'll be a part-time job. You'll go to Washington for about the 20% of the time that these guys go now because you won't have to raise anything. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. I think that's a beginning, right? So getting back to that, I think that was in the founders, yeah. So let's say that you're a teacher. Let's say that you're a, doesn't matter, public or private school teacher. Most mm -hmm. teachers are want to do their job well. You and I have both known plenty of teachers, public and private, and they're not all union activists and they're not all crazies. Most Absolutely. of them want to go to school and teach and teach well. And they have a lot of complaints and this and that and the other thing. They care but far more about the kids than they do the money. Yep. We're going to get teachers selected. So let's imagine because of the randomness of the lottery and they have degrees. So they're going to be in the pool. Teachers are going to be in the pool. So it's inevitable the teachers, some teachers are going to be selected. 
Right. So when they get selected, but it's not a full-time job, think about the learning ex experience for their students. When they go to Washington, now we're, we'll pay them per diem, whatever. So let's say the teacher's making, I don't know, $60,000 a year, that's average in Arizona. So let's say they're, they're making $60,000 a year. That means they're making roughly, I don't know, what's that, $500 a day, something like that. Anyway, whatever, I don't know, that, that's wrong. But the, whatever they make they're per day, about, they're making down. A little bit less than $800 a day, yeah. Right, but it's gonna be their per diem pay. Right. Then, on top of their per diem pay, they get free room and board, what the government will do is they'll buy like the Watergate complex, the whole thing, or we'll take some empty government building and convert it into condos. And that'll be the congressional condos with really, really great guards and super security and state-of-the-art everything. And they can stay there for free when they're in town, but it's a hotel, okay? No right. one's gonna be putting down roots in Washington, all right? right. There's gonna be no more living in Georgetown. Okay, that, I mean, if you want to, you can afford it, knock yourself out. But there will be no reason to do that because all those parties and all that lobbying is going to go away because there will be no elections. With no elections, right. it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Okay, now, how does the president chosen? Well, the president's term is also four years, one time, one and done, but it overlaps the two con the Congresses by two years. So okay. if two years into each Congress, the Congress will select the president and the vice president from their own ranks. Okay. And they'll do it. The idea for this is the College of Cardinals when they choose a Pope, this is how it came to me. We're gonna do a Pope selection, but we're gonna do it in the open with the television cameras on and media's there, social media in the works. So it's an exercise in democracy where people can see openly how their representatives are mm. thinking and voting, okay? And understand what's going on. now. As a guy who served on sufferings, here's where this idea came to me. You'd be surprised how the average fast attack submarine, submarine when I served had a crew of about, and I served on fast attacks, not missile submarines. I, I served on like today, the Virginia class submarines are fast attacks and SSN, not an SSBN. I served on SSNs. So on the SSNs, they would have a crew of about 130 to 150, depending on the class of the submarine. It would take me maybe a week to learn everybody's name. And I, I was not unusual. Everybody learns everybody. Haven't you ever been in a group of people and pretty soon you know everybody? Right. And, at, and after two years of the same 435 people working together in Congress and the same 100 senators working together in Congress, they're going to know who the smart and stupid ones are. And there are going to be smart and stupid ones. But the difference will be there won't be smart and stupid Democrats or Republicans based on some partisan crap and, and people donating to them to take positions that they know aren't correct. They will be regular citizens who pay taxes like everybody else, chosen at absolute random. Well, I think there will important. be no political parties. It'll be I completely don't know how rationalize that to to Americans who would want a choice in their in their elected officials. That's the only issue, obviously, that I see with today, the program. Yeah. Today it couldn't happen. But we're about to get a lesson in the in the venality of our Congress. The fault, the crash in two thousand eight was caused by Congress. I'm sorry. I know they've made movies about the banks and the speculators, but let me make this very simple to understand. When the umpire lays down the rules, you play by the rules that you're given. When the government says, sell everything and we'll guarantee everything, you're not immoral to believe the government's guarantee. And that's what they did. They guaranteed garbage. And they got right. it, and they blamed everybody else, but that's what they did. When pe but people, our education system is so poor, 
And with every passing generation, less and less readers. Um, it, it, it reflects our popular entertainment. You, it, do you ever ask yourself why there are so many remakes? It's because your generation yeah, doesn't read. There's no originality. Your generation yeah. doesn't read. Okay. My generation was the last generation that really read. And Gen X, to some extent, still reads. But with every generation, obviously, there are guys in your generation that read. But less and less and less. Now, when you're talking and, about over the, over the population. Reading makes, it's, it's like using a muscle. You know, when you, you have to imagine, when you're reading a story, you're imagining yourself in the setting of the story and what's going on, fiction or nonfiction. Okay. And that, that stimulates imagination and creativity. And we, that's why we're, how many like Marvel remakes are we going to make? I mean, Jesus Christ. Right. I, I, I mean, you know, at, at, at some point, like, you need let's try story. something new. Yeah, but well, I, I think that kind of relates well, right back to Congress. Mark, well, right now today, the American people would never accept it, but we're we're going to have a crash that's going to be so big and so horrible that it's going to make the Great Depression seem like a happy memory. We're going to have a complete, a complete economic collapse. It's just going to be a shit show. And I could go into all the reasons why, but I don't want to doom and gloom everybody. And I know this sounds crazy, but I've all my life, people have told me I'm a Pollyanna, the opposite. But, you know, at some point, you open your eyes and you, one, one of the things prison did was it took, it took me away from all the noise. And when you're looking at it, like you're looking down on the village instead of being in the village, it gives you a whole different perspective on what's going on in the village. And then if you have any kind of knowledge about what's going on, it's there. We will not, we will not avoid, there's, there's no point in talking about it because at this point it's gonna happen. The only question is when, not if. My feeling is it'll happen sometime between now and the elections next year. I wouldn't be surprised to have it still happen this year, but certainly right. next year. And when, sure. when I say happen, you're going to wake up one morning and everything's going to be in meltdown. It's going to start probably in China. I think China will be the, 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 the straw that breaks the camel's back. I could go into a long dissertation on China, but let's just say. Do you know what Mainly based on the amount of bad debt that they have, I assume. Their economy is 40% of what they say it is. They've been lying all along. Well, it's built on matchsticks that's built into the card it's, house. You know what I mean? Government spending, yeah, it's, it, it's, and they, if our demographics are bad, China is the oldest country in the history of the world on average age. The one China policy that I'll put in, so, yeah, they're the oldest country in history. They're also the most indebted country in history. Did you know that? China Absolutely. is the most indebted country in history. And the Chinese people are the most indebted citizens of any country in history. Wow. That's why the, the real estate market is so key. Most Chinese that can afford it have two mortgages, not one, on two different properties. And they built 3 billion units roughly, and they only have a billion people. That, that, that's right. an unsupportable model. Right. I mean, it, and it, the shit has already hit the fan. And it's much worse than their... Than their yeah, they just have a clamp GDP. on their news. Yeah. Once you fake GDP, See, GDP includes government spending. So you can do a lot of right. fiat currency spending, and it looks like growth when it's all bullshit. Um, the reason I say China's economy is 40% of ours is satellite surveys. So there are there have been a, you can Google this. There have been a number, there are a number of sources that use satellite and nightlights to judge the size of a country's economy and is very accurate. So for example, if you were to look at North Korea at night, it's black, except for Pyongyang, just one little tiny dot. And the rest of the country is black. It is it's Haiti's the same way, black, okay? But the United States is lit up, coast to coast. Europe is lit up, 
Okay, and you can tell by the amount of lights and the concentration of lights and what kind of lights they are, how big the economy is. Based on light surveys, China's economy is 40% of what they say it is. Wow. And that's, you can fool some of the people some of the time, and you can fool all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And Correct. it's coming to the point where the party the party is over. And the Fed. Yeah. What, the world invested heavily in Chinese manufacturing, which joined us all together. Huh. And we're, if there's just no, there's nothing to be done. So, Plus, so I do have a question. Go ahead. So we're at a, I think we're a little over two hours at this point. And uh, I, first of all, I do want to say, I'd like to have you back on specifically for a bonus episode to talk a little bit more about the finances in particular and dive a little bit deeper sure. into what might be coming. Um, it's something that obviously I've been a little bit uh, trying to read up what I can to myself. I'm not an expert, so I only know that numbers and underlying America, numbers. Don't look great. The last thing I'll say is you need, America needs a Cincinnatus. We need a Cincinnatus. Now you read who Cincinnatus was, and you'll get it. America needs Cincinnatus. And well, he, was from, uh, he was from Rome, if I'm not mistaken. Cincinnatus was a Roman general, and the ter- I'll, I'll make it fast, then we'll get out of here. The term dictator used to not be a dirty word until the 20th century. Until the fascists came along, dictator was just another form of government. It was just a king Correct. that that got the kingship as opposed to inherited the kingship. That's all the dictator ever was. Okay. Then Mussolini turned it into something else and Hitler, of course. And, you know, I think important to note is they also had limits, like they had term limits. Yes. So in, in Rome, the term limit was one year. You got to Correct. be the dictator for one year. And they would make you the, the, the Senate. Rome was a republic. The Senate, would, this is pre pre-Caesar. So Caesar changed it into an imperial thing and that the rest is history. But prior to that, they were a republic for a very long time. And as a republic, they were run by a Senate. But the Senate understood that when the shit really hit the fan, too many people talking, you can't get anything done. You can't make any decisions. So when, when typically it was the barbarians invading from somewhere, when a big, when the country was under a huge threat, they would appoint from their from their ranks a dictator, someone that everybody respected, who would serve for a year, go out, try to clean this mess up, come home, then they're not the dictator anymore. And for that one year, they can, but remember that in those days, Rome didn't run a welfare state. So it, it was really always about national defense. Okay, so Cincinnati was a Roman general. He had retired. And he, at this point, was not in the Senate anymore. He had retired to his orchards and his olive groves in the northern part of the country. And in those days, by the way, Northern Italy was warm. You know, talk about climate change, just saying. Right. We grew oranges in Florence, just saying. Okay, so um, so he, they brought him in, and what was happening was these Germanic tribes were invading from the north, and they were coming in and just slaughtering Romans. You know, and, and Rome's whole thing was Pax Romana, that if you were the peace of Rome, that was the whole idea, that if you were a Roman subject, Rome would protect you, even if you were a conquered people. That was the genius of Rome. They made their conquered people citizens. And by doing that and protecting them, it, it changed the nature of empire forever. And it so, lessened the rebellion significantly. Well, because people had buy-in. Once you give people buy-in, they, they like it. And that one little city couldn't feel field enough armies to do what they had to do. They had, right. they had to find they a way to expand. They, they had to get some help from the Roman superstructure, correct? So Cincinnati was really an Italian. He really wasn't a Roman per se. He was a Northern Italian, but he was widely, widely respected and beloved. So he becomes the the, uh, dictator. He goes out, he fights the Germans, he defeats them in six weeks, and he resigns. He says, that's it. I'm done. 
Now, every other dictator but him basically spent the rest of his time as dictator stealing. But because you could steal like crazy. And in Rome, that was to be expected. That was actually part of the deal. But um, he, he didn't. He went back to his orchards. Then it happened again. Some other, I think it was the Persians were invading and they had to, they rolled him. He was the best general they had, retired or not. They rolled him out. They made him the dictator again. It took, that time it took him six months. Did exactly the same thing. Defeated him, quit. <laughs> America could use the Cincinnatus, just saying. And I don't see, the last guy that I saw that I thought would be a great Cincinnatus was Colin Powell and he's dead. So I, you know, I, I a guy that everyone could kind of agree has his act together. And whether you disagree with him or you don't, you know the guy's a class act. You know what I mean? Something that's who is Cincinnati has to be a class act. And Absolutely. I just don't see a lot of class acts. No, and none of them want to run for con Congress or even the presidency because of the repercussions that it has on you, your family, your businesses. As you can see now, as we're seeing on both sides of the aisle, we both have pretty much what looks like crooks. Um, 340 million people, this is all we can do. Can you just think yeah. about that? 340 million people. I, I want you to say uh, what everybody can go and do to try to help out the 1964 plan to go and support you and the nonprofit organization to get this word out, because I think this is important to have this conversation. Of course, we disagreed quite a bit through that whole show, you could tell, but it, this is the conversation that you have to have. This is the conversation Look, you have to have. So how can everybody help? Okay, so uh, the, the 1964 plan is a 501c3 nonprofit. That means that deduct that... Uh, Donations are deductible. We we don't advocate for one political party or the other. We don't donate. We don't get. We're not a super PAC. We are an educational nonprofit. And if you go to the website, there's you can donate as little as five dollars, as much as you want. Everything helps. What we're using the money for is very simple. We're you know you got to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. And we're going to use the money to to basically push me out everywhere and to travel around the country, start speaking on college campuses, start speaking at, at clubs, universities, groups. Um, you can believe this or not. I'm a great public speaker. I'm very, very comfortable in that. I'm, I'm the right front man. That's like my superpower. I let everybody, I don't run the, I, life has taught me, don't run the company, but I am absolutely great at what I do. And I, it, I'm not going to be falsely modest. I am. And that, that's the point to get me out on the road and speak because when the shit hits the fan, if there's not something good, something bad will certainly come along. Okay, there's going to be plenty of demagogues, plenty of people to offer easy ways out that won't. And we can either come apart or come together. That's the whole idea. And the other thing is we're soliciting volunteers because what we'd love people to do is organize in their communities. And then I'll come out and speak to their groups We over just in their living rooms, whatever, whatever it needs to be. Okay, this is not about this is about building grassroots support because no politician is going to vote this in now. But the radical becomes reasonable when the shit hits the fan. And my friends. The shit's about to hit the fan. And as far as I can tell, we're the only game in town with any kind of alternative but the same old, same old. And there you go. That's my whole pitch. That's my elevator pitch. I, I love it. Herb, it was awesome meeting you. I think it would be a great time to let everybody soak this in. This is a long interview. I'll try to parcel it down, give you guys a little summary. And um, yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed it. We'll have Herb back on, like I said, as long as he's good with it. We'll have him on for a little bit. Financial discussion for the bonus show. Obviously, you can't shut me up, so I'll be happy to come. <laughs> Herb, it was awesome having you, man. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Can I call you Sal, or do you like Salvatore better? Sal. Sal, I had a wonderful time. I was going to call you. I think I already called you Sal a few times. I still want to be rude. And that's why I go by Herbie and not Herbert, because who's Herbert? You know what? Anyway. <laughs> I don't know.
Sal, it was a pleasure. Thank you, everybody. God bless America.